0: Today's episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network, brought to you by ZipRecruiter. The best teams start with great talent, like the 2018 Red Sox. So much talent. And now, Mookie Betts is on the Dodgers. It can go fast. You got to appreciate when it happens. No one knows the importance of talent more than our presenting sponsor, ZipRecruiter. They deliver qualified candidates fast, powerful technology, scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience for your job. So effective. So effective. Four to five employers will post on ZipRecruiter to get a quality candidate through the site. And then the first day, my listeners can try it for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. Meanwhile, check out the Ringer.com, The Ringer Podcast Network, The Rewatchables, which put up The Breakfast Club late on Wednesday night, me and uh, Wesley Morris and Chris Ryan. The Book of Basketball podcast still in full swing. We did Dwight Howard this week. Have another one coming next week. And our new podcast that's going to be exclusive on Spotify, go follow this feed now. And when we have new ones, it'll pop up in your Spotify feed for free. It is called Music Exists. Chuck Klosterman, Chris Ryan, two people who have been on this podcast many times. A whole bunch of big picture uh, conversations about music. It's hard to explain. You've heard Chuck on this podcast many times. Um, I trust that you trust that this will be good because it will be good. We've been trying to get Chuck to do a podcast for 10 years. He finally folded. He finally caved. So go on Spotify, look for Music Exists and just follow that. Coming up, we're going to talk to Ben Thompson from the Stratechery newsletter uh, about where things are going with streaming and tech and all kinds of things. He's been on this podcast before you've heard him. And uh, he's really good and he knows this stuff. And then later, my buddy Jacko, popular demand. People want him with uh, the Mookie Betts thing and the cheating scandal and the Democratic, <laughs> everything going on there. He is coming up later as well. First, our friends from Pearl Jam. <laughs> All right. Ben Thompson is here. He runs the Stratechery Newsletter. I said that correctly this you time. You did. You did. The it's, last it's, time <laughs> I was like, Stratechery. Sir. But you, you planted your flag very early on, pay to read my stuff island.
1: I, I think And now there's for a lot of model, people there. Yeah. I mean, I think I was the first one to do it. I mean, like, there's been paid newsletters for a long time, like on Wall Street and stuff that I like, charge $15,000 a year or something like that and get a bunch some hedge funds. But to do these sort of pay ten dollars a year or or ten dollars a month, I should say, now twelve dollars a month, uh, and kind of appeal to way more people, make it up in volume, it was sort of a new thing that has only been possible in the last, you know, seven, eight years, thanks to companies like Stripe or whatever where it makes it easy to accept payments. So Oh yeah. So yeah. So I I was I started that the pay part in twenty fourteen and uh it's been going pretty well.
0: Motley Fool and some of the stock places were doing versions of this, but never for like just information.
1: That's right. Yeah. And they would be, um, I think like Grants is like a very famous one. Uh, And again, very, very pricey because they're limited to a certain assignment. They used to actually mail out like paper printed (laughs) um, on things. But this idea of being able to sort of just go to anyone, uh, my main delivery mechanism is email. I mean, I have a website where I put free articles uh, and the paid ones are there too, but most people read via email. And the great thing about email is it's the one sort of feed people check every day True, that you can get into for free, right? If you want to get into Facebook, you have to pay. If you want to get into, you know, Twitter, where I mean, like, promote it and make sure they see it, you have to pay. Whereas email, it's open and free. And if people invite you in, it's it's super awesome.
0: You know what's funny, though? I have a 14-year-old daughter and a 12-year-old son. No email. Yeah. They're just text and Snapchat messages and Instagram messages. And if I email them something... Did you see that thing I sent? You're like, no, I don't check email. So what's funny? So is- I don't know what's going to happen in that generation.
1: I, I I thought that too, but my daughter is 12, and it's interesting because they got their computers starting in sixth grade. Yeah, and maybe because I don't know, it's a little bit younger, and kids are more worried about it. But they actually email each other all the time because some some of the kids don't have phones and some do, and so but everyone has computers and sense. has email, but so you, they use email. But, it's so random. But you live in Taiwan, though. I do, I do. But I mean, there, I mean, there's you know. A, a, just as pervasive, even more pervasive mobile and and chat and things like that. I mean, they now use Instagram a lot more. I think it was more particularly when they first got it. It was sort of a new thing for some of them, but, uh, but yeah, it's interesting though, because I think there's always a sense that, you know, people actually grow up and they change. And I think there's not really any, any evidence that email is actually going anywhere. Like Slack was going to kill email. Like, you know, and what actually happened is the company that dominates email is now killing Slack. So um, the, uh, You know, I think email will be with us for a long time. Being open and something that anyone can tap into and anyone can do remains super valuable. No one is going to build a protocol like email ever again. Like, so I think we're going to be with it. It's going to be with us for a long time.
0: So the going from the paid newsletter era to where we are now, where you have pretty much every newspaper now has some sort of subscription thing. You have you know, the Vox is going to end up doing something I'm sure with, with all of their sites and with New York magazine, um, Vanity Fair has their thing. It's very hard to find free high quality content at this point. When does this start bundling together? When does this start to look like video where you have Hulu plus Disney plus, plus ESPN plus for this price? When does that start happening with news?
1: I'm not sure. I mean, cause there's, it's not unclear what sort of the forcing mechanism for that's going to be. I mean, Netflix started as a bundle. I mean, ES, I guess Disney is sort of brute forcing it, but they already have so much content that makes it compelling. And the other, you know, the other thing with news in general is news is a very sort of, uh, difficult product to compete with because like once news is out there, it's, it's, it's out there. <laughs> like there's no yeah. sort of walking it down. And the, uh, and it, like it, its value disintegrates over time very quickly. Whereas Netflix makes a show and that show is still valuable and a reason to subscribe like several years down the road. So the nature of, I think, text generally and and that stuff is different. I do think some of the companies like, I think like Vox and Buzzfeed and stuff, some of those, I think they are going to make a go of it. I think they'll stay free, but you're right. A lot of like, especially newspapers and stuff are for pay. The other thing that's hard is you look at someone like, like me, at this point, if you need, want to bundle to work, the benefit, I need to get more money from people that subscribe, not for me, but for other people to make it worth the money I'm giving up from people that subscribe for me, if that right. makes sense. Right. And so it makes it very hard to get a bundle off the ground because you you have to make it worth the the while of the people that attract people to the bundle. And there's kind of like a, a valley in between like where you are currently and like the mountain you want to get to. And going through that valley is very, very difficult. So if you think about all the bundles that started, they often started because of technological limitations. So the newspaper is a bundle. And it started because you actually had to have one place to print the paper and put it on a truck and deliver it, right? So that, yeah. it, that was why it was a bundle. The cable, like cable started, this is actually super interesting. Uh, because there, there was remote like uh, cities or up in the mountains or whatever that wanted to get broadcast TV. The yeah. signal was poor, so they would band together to build a community tower to pull in the signal, then run wires from that tower to all their homes. It was called community access TV. That is where cable came from. What happened was, I think it was actually James Dolan, uh, the 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 the, the, smart Dolan, the smart Dolan, came along <laughs> and started like bundling all these together into one product, and then they realized, wait, we could actually use satellite to go straight to these and avoid the broadcast networks completely. And then HBO came along and TNT were really the first ones. And so then the bundle grew from that, but it started as a a collective thing, right? It wasn't like there was an ESPN floating around and a TNT floating around. And someone said, let's put these together. No, they started together. And so I actually, because of that, like what's going to actually pull stuff together, actually pulling together rarely happens. It usually starts as a bundle. And then maybe the bundle breaks up sort of over time.
0: because I wonder if the New York Times, Washington Post, l a. Times, Boston Globe, Chicago Tribune, whatever you took like the six biggest newspapers, and they said, "We're all together now. here's here this is going to cost 1999 a
1: month or whatever,
0: or you could just get us all separately. But you can get all this together and you get all these things and save something. I actually think that would
1: work. It, right. But it's one of those things again, where it makes total logical sense. And as a reader, it's very appealing. It's like, why am I paying for all these things? It'd be great if I could read whatever I wanted to. But if you actually sit down as a decision maker at one of these newspapers and be like, okay, us six newspapers will say are going to get together that means out of every dollar a subscriber pays i'm going to get what 16 and a half cents yeah so that means i have to get six times the number of subscribers via this scheme that i can just get on my own and keep it all and so maybe if you're like the chicago tribune you're like that sounds awesome (laughs) that's i'd love to get the new york times to get me more subscribers and the new york times like we have three four million subscribers why do we want to share them with everyone well, they will probably
0: weight it, right? Like New York Times would get 25% or, or maybe you pay 40 bucks a month or. Right. And then you get know. into these schemes like where cable. how much
1: do you read an actual thing, whatever. But, but that, then you're getting you're getting into an incentive problem. I think you don't really want to, getting in a situation where you're compensating writers based on how many people read it or whatever, then you're back into like the clickbait era. True. Where you're trying to get people to read. And one of the great things about subscription is you win based on quality. So the incentives are to write really good stuff that people want to read and share and 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 feel compelled they have to read. And so I actually or to think, have good reported. That's right, stuff exactly. You can only get here. So people are like, you know, people complain about this aspect and justifiably so. But I think they overlook a lot of the really good things about the current system and the fact that your duty as a publication is very explicitly to your readers. In a way, it actually wasn't for for you know the last hundred years, where the advertisers were the ones that actually paid the bills. Do you buy the whole? The
0: fear that there's a subscription bubble coming where people are just going to look at how many things they're subscribing to and go, wait, what am I doing? I have 22 subscriptions. I should have seven.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think people, I, I, I get this question a lot in particular because- No, I don't you know, like asking questions that are like <laughs>
0: generic questions.
1: <laughs> well,
0: no, I thought but, that was a really good question. I was excited about it.
1: I mean, I have a lot, you know, because I, or what's gonna happen, what happens there's lots of newsletters out there. I, the reality is, is just because it's a good business model doesn't mean it's gonna succeed for everyone, right? Like yeah. it's still business, right? You have to compete and win. I, so so first and foremost, I, I don't think that's necessarily a problem for for the folks that are already successful. Um, but, But two, just because, you know, the i think people underestimate the the, the beautiful thing with the internet the right way people think about media in terms of the media we've always had which makes sense because that's their life's experience which is you have the the city newspaper and you have the local broadcast tv then you have cable sort of generally and if you think back all of that is defined by geography the internet is the whole point of it is it's not limited by geography at all and so that's why all these business models got screwed up because they were Predicated on something that ceased to exist. Yeah, but the implication is now you can build something mm-hmm. new by reaching all over the world. So Shetakery has like something like eighty-five people subscribers to eighty-five different countries or something along those lines. Really? And so the the what's interesting about that is because there are people that care about a specific angle on technology, which is like the strategy and business model side of, of tech companies. And so I don't need to worry about getting all the people in. Taipei, Taiwan, where I live, or Wisconsin, where I grew up. No, I can, my market's literally the entire world, and I can pick out one person in South Dakota and one person in Florida and one person in Belgium, and you bring that all together and you have a compelling model. And so I think there's lots of opportunities to do this. So there's people that write about just Apple, for example, or there's people that write about uh, music or people that I think there's a big journalistic opportunity to go into like smaller cities and focus on just a city or just a beat or whatever. And actually, I think it's hugely undertapped. And what you, the, the scale comes not from lots of people doing the same thing, like your point about the newspapers, the New York Times and the Washington Post that are kind of doing the same thing. The actual future is not lots of people competing by doing the same content. It's lots of people competing by all specializing in these niches. Little that tiny are, satellites. That's right. That's right. And so like it's, Bucks Twitter. <laughs> Bucks Twitter is an amazing If place. there was an awesome Bucks
0: person, you he would have 9,000. Crazy Bucks fans subscribing.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, you know, this is something that I think the athletics been very smart about is uh, having like, there's two beat writers that cover the Bucks. There's the local paper, which is, you know, traditionally been very sort of uh, in, in with the team and not very critical. And now there's someone else that's providing a beat writer that is actually not, you know, that has their own point of view and is, is independent. And that's super, super valuable. It's something that we're you know, us bucks, Twitter fans are certainly willing to pay for. And I think there's gonna be more and more sort of opportunities there.
0: What do you think of the athletics model?
1: I think it's, it's interesting because that's actually a bundle. So, and the reason why I think it works at least on a theoretical level is people who like sports usually like lots of sports. And so, whereas, you know, someone who likes technology, for example, is not necessarily going to be interested in a site about, uh, Culture, not to to choose like a ring right. or whatever, right? But are not necessarily willing to pay for it. Whereas if I w- want to read about the Packers, I also probably want to read about the Brewers. I was probably read about the Bucks. And if that's all already in one place, then that's a pretty compelling proposition. And oh, by the way, some big story happened with the Lakers. I want to go read about it. I want to go read about you know the Warriors, wherever it might be. So I think sports lends itself to a bundle in a way that that other platforms necessarily don't. Is that now would I join something like the Athletic? Well, no, because I think. You know, the great thing about this model is I, as an individual, if I can actually drive subscriptions by myself, the biggest return is to just keep it all for myself. Right. Uh, But... Particularly for journalists, from journalist perspective, who don't necessarily have the you know the capital or ability to go on their own for a year and try to build up an audience, like to be able to join something like that also makes sense. So there's a lot of sort of aligned incentives there. So a couple I think of it's, people I think it's have tried that and weren't able to really totally make it work. Yeah, in, it,
0: in you know in cities like Boston and Pittsburgh.
1: Yeah, that's right. And and so I, I don't know. I'd right. love to know more details about like how successful they were or or whatever. But I mean, it's it, it's difficult. Particularly, uh, you know, I think the opportunity is. Um, I actually sometimes feel like a bad example for this, uh, for this model, because I do fairly generalized analysis about a wide range of things. And that's actually really hard to make work. Like there's analysis all over the internet, right? Like, why would you want to pay for something in particular? So I actually think the real opportunity will be m- more journalistic, but covering stuff that no one's covering. And in this case, people, yeah, they try to cover like the 76ers or, or whatever, but people are, there's plenty of people covering the 76ers. So you're, you're it's very, very competitive whereas if you were to go in and cover uh something more like like city government like which maybe only like 2000 people care about well that's great being in a small pond is actually a really great place to be Yeah, uh, it, it, i think so that's the challenge there they're they were in a, a, a too big of an ocean probably well,
0: to remember, survive remember remember uh espn when they did the insider which i think they they i think they still have but when they really started pushing this in the 04 range And, you know, they, they put a lot of their fantasy people behind it. People like Chad Ford were behind it, uh, eventually some local stuff. And I remember in the end of last decade, it was pretty successful. Like they, they were telling me some of the numbers and like, oh, eight, oh nine. And it was like 800, 850,000 people or something subscribing. And it was really because they wanted like the NBA draft stuff and they, they wanted like specific things. That's
1: right. Going very deep as so it works. And that's what they're doing with ESPN plus right now. Right. Yeah, Cause the ESPN plus they're never going to take, I listen to your interview yesterday. It was fantastic with, Thank with, you. with, 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 with uh, Bob Iger, but they're never going to take the big stuff away from ESPN. ESPN still makes a ton of money. And also it makes a lot of sense. It like being live, you know, advertising like sports, sports is going to be the very last thing to go to a subscription model. But, all the other sports that like a few thousand people care about, like there's no t- there's literally no time for that on ESPN. Like they're gated. There's 24 hours in the day. Right. And so all that sort of stuff is a huge opportunity. Actually, I think the one of the biggest missed opportunities that, that people don't think about for ESPN is uh, ESPN was pretty early to soccer. And they should have locked up the Premier League like a oh decade ago. Like if they owned Premier League and had on ESPN Plus, like imagine how, how how huge that would be right now. And that was, I think, a big missed opportunity in part because they like I, I really uh, admire what Disney's done a lot in the last four years. But unfortunately, it was the five to 10 years before that where their heads were kind of totally in the sand. And that was a big missed opportunity. There, I think
0: one of the problems with soccer was soccer was intentionally keeping their rights deals on short terms, right? And always leaving the door open for somebody to just kind of lose their minds and come in with a crazy bid because Skipper was running ESPN at that point and he was the biggest soccer fan I probably knew in the late two thousands, early two thousand tens. Well, the other problem and too, Fox though, just came in and blew him out.
1: Yeah, but the other problem though is uh, they with in cars World, World Cup, but with the Premier League, it's on the weekends in the mornings. And the when ESPN didn't ends. have the bandwidth. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They, w- the literally premier league, literally league was never time. happening because
0: they, they studied it and they were like, all right, well, we could put this on before prime, a before countdown.
1: Or we could put another football show on.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and
1: so we, we don't really need it. That's exactly right. Whereas now that they have ESPN+, plus. Their, their bandwidth is unlimited, right? They can show whatever they want to yeah. on there. So it's like a total shift in mindset as to what is valuable and why it's valuable. It goes from what reaches the sort of maximum number of people and is the maximum number of people to actually what's really valuable is stuff that like some number of people care intensely about because the more intensely they care about it, the more they're willing to pay for it.
0: Well, the soccer thing, the Champions League went to uh, TNT and TBS and I think they they had mixed results with it and couldn't really figure it out. And now it's moving again. Where's it going? CBS, and it's like the Champions League's basically during the day, which is a disaster for you know especially in the East Coast. Yep. Um, but it's still like this important thing, and I, I nobody's really been able to figure out how to unlock that. But the 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 NBA stuff I think is coming up in like three years. And the thing I'm fascinated by is what happens to the to League Pass. And what is that worth? And especially, what is that worth to not only ESPN Plus but like the Zone? And if like, because the Zone, they have it in Canada. If you look at the Zone's sports rights in Canada, they have—I think—they have NFL Sunday Ticket and Red Zone, and they have like NBA League. But like, they have basically a motherload of stuff. I'd be interested to see how that would work on an app versus flicking channels. Because our generation, we're still flicking channels. Although in Taiwan, you're probably no, watching. No, so on I, an it's app, right? I
1: stream everything, right? So I, yeah. I, when you're talking about this, I'm salivating because yeah. League Passes, from a technical perspective, is just awful. It's yeah. a terrible, terrible product, and if, if Disney were to like acquire it and put on ESPN Plus, and I could use uh, the MLB BAM technology, that would be amazing.
0: Because so. we saw a version of it of what it might look like when they had the World Championships last August and they would have like four games basically across and it could be like us versus France. But then next to it was Spain, Croatia. And then all four of them were going and you could basically like slide along and yeah. And it'll
1: be TV right now, which True. You, it, it, like that's it, the same technology and like there it's so much better than we pass. That would, that'd be great. It's it's that's, that's going to kill that That will kill DirecTV. Yeah. Well, DirecTV, DirecTV is, is, is going to die anyway, already. but that'll yeah. be like the death
0: though. And they're going to lose either NFL or NBA, but um but I think that the league pass in all the different countries is, I, I can't even calculate what that would mean to like the salary cap. What does that look like five years from now? How much money can they make from 170 countries with league pass?
1: Maybe. I think it'd be a bit of a slow build. I mean, because you, they're already selling streaming in China, for example. Like that that's the 10 cent Still? deal. Yeah, no. So the, the, the 10 cent stream has basically league pass. And that right. actually came back online within a week. Okay. So the hardcore fans could watch the NBA. What is still not back is the broadcast NBA over like CCTV, like this, the government, like, like channel, but the Tencent streaming is back. Uh, and then you do have week pass elsewhere. It, it, I, I do think there's something compelling about, uh, I don't know. I've to think about it more, but this idea of like, especially ESPN in particular going in with a, we're going to do away with the with week pass and make it a part of ESPN plus as that's our bid. I think is is pretty compelling. I haven't thought about that. I'm going to have to put more thought into that. It was
0: interesting what Agar said in the pod I did with him was kind of buried, but he was talking about ESPN, the way it used to exist is going to just, he basically said it is going to start dying and it's going to be direct to consumer streaming. And I think what they realized with ESPN plus pretty quickly was it's people aren't going to go there for shows. That's They're right. not going to go there for any given Wednesday and yep. shows like that. They're going to go there for games, more games, live events like UFC and things like that. The UFC thing, which seemed like they overpaid. I actually, it, it turns out they didn't.
1: Well, you made a good point on that podcast that no one's ever overpaid for sports rights. No. I mean, like, it's like uh, He gave the one example. He said the <laughs> Calgary Olympics. Exactly. So I'm like, all right, other than that one time. The exception that proves the rule. That's right. Yeah. I mean, I do think that big sports events are going to stay on regular TV for a long time to come. What may int- happen though, going forward is a lot more, maybe on ABC. What you see is a sort of a big return back to broadcast. Yeah. And that's a way, because two things have happened. One, the broadcast channels figure out how they can charge the same as cable to operators. So they charge these big carriage fees, like the Comcast of the world to, to carry over the broadcasts, So they get paid just like ESPN used to get paid. But then two, that's a way to reach all the people that have cut the cord Cause like the rabbit ear cells are like exploding. Like people like literally like they put up an just on their house and they watch broadcast TV. And so I think you're actually going to see a shift of sports back onto broadcast TV, which is already happening, but I think it's going to accelerate even more. And that's also one thing the NFL was very smart about was the NFL has always been uh very uh, concerned about making sure they're on broadcast TV. So even like the NFL network shows on Thursday or, or the games, those are always broadcast in the cities of the teams that are playing. So if the Packers are playing on, on you know, Thursday Night Football on NFL Network, it will be also available over the air for people in Wisconsin. That's been the NBA's mistake. I mean, one of the reasons I think the ratings
0: have dropped is the first three months of the season, they're not on network TV really at all. And I agree with you. I think we're going to, we're going to see over the next five, six, seven years, just more stuff going, more NBA stuff going on ABC. I think. You know, I could see Monday night football being an ABC
1: thing. That's right. Eventually. I think that's very possible. Yeah.
0: And by the way, why wouldn't you? What's the downside? You're gonna reach more people. It really helps ABC. And then it has all of these other benefits where you have, you know, the the show right before the football game. Jimmy Kimmel and the news right after and stuff like that, where there's like real tangible benefits to well, it. Well,
1: also the, the way Disney negotiates with the carriers, it, it, it's not just that they're negotiating just ESPN. Like they have a whole host of channels, right? And so you're, they're going to end up paying the same amount for ABC and ESPN that they would have paid if it was on yeah. ESPN. But but uh, yeah, so I, I think that that makes sense. It's going to go in that direction. What's well, not going to happen though, is
0: so, But the MB, what NBC on Sunday night, how that unfolded and how important it was to them and how it just felt bigger—that's the blueprint, in my opinion. And and Fox was able to replicate it on the Thursday nights,
1: you know. Well, and the, the NBA has been shifting that direction, like the yeah. the, the Sunday night ABC yep. game and stuff like that. And I, which is a—I I remember growing up, like the NBC for—I mean, I was a little younger than you, so it was the the NBC Saturday g- or Sunday afternoon game. Like that was where I knew like most of the players in the league. It was a big deal, like. To, we have that going on we have you know the John Tash music or whatever. Yeah uh, I and- could
0: see I could see Wednesday night which is normally has been an ESPN night forever. I could see Wednesday night becoming like a nine o'clock NBA game you know picket marquee really like make it the bigger games you can flex change the times because there's always a lot of games on Wednesday. That's a model that would really help their ratings.
1: Yeah. I th- I think flexing will be a big part of the next, of the next. Bit. Oh yeah. Deal. It has to be like, Wait, did you see
0: the Monday night football
1: stuff? No, like they're already talking about
0: how can we flex for Monday night football going forward, which really gets complicated for football because you have like, there's not that many games. You're flying back you're like, for to Wisconsin and you're timing it with the Sunday Packer game. You're leaving Monday morning. And then they're like, yeah, we're flexing that to Monday night. And that's like, I just yeah. flew, now I got to change my flight.
1: No, I think it would work better for. It's interesting because the the NBA TNT gets the uh, featured Thursday already, where there's very few games on Thursday. True. So, so what's interesting though is ESPN could say, okay, look, we know there's a ton of games on Wednesday. That's cool. We actually like that there's a ton of games on Wednesday. Well, we want now we have if, options. That's right. We want to be able to two weeks ahead of time out of these you know ten games, we get decide which one which one we want. Well, uh,
0: you see what happened this year where they they get. Golden State was risky anyway because they were always one Curry injury away from being a disaster. But they're such a popular team, they rolled the dice with it. Now you have like a Saturday night game, Golden
1: State. Lakers. Well, worse, you had a bunch of Warriors Pelicans games. Well, that, so you got, and and you then the Pelicans way. were the <laughs> other one,
0: and, yeah. they, and they had all these Zion games, and he wasn't playing. And now we've hit the second part of the season, and Zion is the single most compelling guy to watch on League Pass now, and he's like not. on not
1: team anymore. anymore. I know it's it's, it's crazy. We got to talk about the Warriors, by the way. Everyone everyone is 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 underestimated that trade. Let's hear it. I think it's absolutely brilliant. The whole thing from D'Angelo Russell to now. And what people are missing is from a Warriors flexibility perspective, it doesn't matter if Andrew Wiggins makes $30 million a year or he makes the minimum. It's the same. Regardless, they're going to be over the cap, not this year, but in the future years. They're going to be in the tax, not this year, but future years. He does nothing to reduce their flexibility because as long as Joe Acob is willing to pay the tax. His burden on them is just tax money, which means if Joe Jacob says, fine, I'll pay the tax, then Golden on sakes say, OK, cool, we'll get a functional small forward. Whatever he gives us is going to be a bonus. We get this probably high first round pick, a high second round pick. We get our full mid-level exception this summer because we get under the tax. And oh, by the end of the tax, those future Andrew Wiggins tax payments will be less than they would have been otherwise. And so they manufactured this ability they're going to trade those picks to like get a, a couple more starters or to, trade
0: those picks with Wiggins to get an impact maybe, guy back.
1: But I mean, Wiggins will be hard to trade because this is unique to gold state for anyone else. Wiggins is this toxic contract that is just awful. Right. right? But from golden state's perspective, and this is what everyone's missing. He, it, the, his contract size doesn't matter. It's yep. immaterial. material. And it, as long as like, is willing to pay the tax. I love and the it's trade a, for it's them a too. huge credit to wake up that he's basically said to his front office, Fine, I'll eat the contract in exchange for we have all these options going forward, and this is the key thing. Everyone, everyone is crushing them up because they look at this contract like, oh, that contract's awful. But if you can just imagine, what if the contract doesn't matter? Then you guys, wait, the Warriors now have so much more flexibility than they did before they did the trade for Russell, and it's—I I think it's brilliant. This, this, this Joe Waker angle, I think, is underappreciated. Like he deserves credit for this trade and why it's it's an amazing deal
0: it sounds like you're gonna stay at his house when you're in the bay area <laughs> <laughs> i don't he know I, light
1: years away no i've never i've never met him but it, like <laughs> I, like everyone else was making light years jokes but no. it's, it's literally a light years move like it, I, I it's using the tax as a weapon
0: i 100 agree with you and there's one other piece that you left out and we've talked about this a little on this podcast so i'm gonna repeat myself the the way the contracts have evolved these teams either have giant contracts or tiny contracts and there's no in between contracts anymore. And you take a team like the Warriors where they're, they just gave Draymond the extension. Curry's making 40 million. Clay's making, I don't know, 28, 30 or or 38, whatever he's making. And those guys are not only, not only would you not want to trade them, not only would you get the right value back anyway, um, but they're just part of your cap. And then you just have to fill around with all these cheap guys The Celtics are basically in the same spot where the only tradable contract they have between the really high ones and the little ones is Marcus Smart and they don't want to trade him. Wiggins now gives them all these options that if Durant just leaves... There's no way they have a tradable contract. No,
1: all they can do nobody is, has tradable and they contracts. Will st- the thing people miss is they would still have been over the cap. Like, yeah. they're never going to have cap space as long as those guys are there.
0: Those three guys take up their entire cap That's space. That's right. Yeah. It's over so they would never have cap space. Yeah. So,
1: so, like, and also they'll mostly be, the, so they have the taxpayer MLE, which is like half the size of the regular mid level exception. And they would just be filling in edge guys and they would never, they'd be done. You like also this literally get, this puts, this reopens their championship window, like the this sequence of events.
0: Well, you also have the ability, Wiggins is like 27.
1: No, he, he's 24. Or
0: he's, I think he ends up at 27. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But you have the ability to then use him to get somebody who makes 20% more than him. But win is like
1: 30 million, just to be clear. It's a brutal contract. It,
0: I thought it was 27 and it ends up at 30. It, I don't know. Whatever. I can't remember. Whatever it is, but, it, it,
1: it, it's but now they Not go, to underestimate how awful it is.
0: But if they wanted, they could flip them into Tobias Harris. Philly would save money. And you know, they, it just gives them more options than you have. I thought it was really smart. I think this is an almost unprecedented reset by them, where we saw it in the Bulls with 99, and there's the Celtics and the
1: Lakers have been in situations we have never seen. No, this actually the second uh, Bulls run. It, it might be the comparable here where you, if you go back and look at it, oh, when the Jordan only common baseball. players were Jordan and Pippen. They're really, almost the entire team was rebuilt around them. The right, Warriors like are doing do the same or... thing, yes. but with three of them. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, like they're so well-placed. Like it's, and the other thing is this summer, so few teams have cap space. The Warriors are going to have the full mid-level exception They're going to be the most attractive destination and be able to offer basically the largest contract a bunch of guys are going to be able to get. They're going to have their pick of free agents. And buyout guys. Yeah, it's pretty... uh,
0: Talking to different people that work for them, they were just saying, like, we were shot anyway. Like, after five straight years of that grind, it feels like 10. Yeah. And it's not like they were going to win the title this year. They were running on fumes of the fumes of the fumes. And that's how guys end up getting hurt. There it is. Clay did get hurt. And it was just going to get worse. So now you just get this reset button for a year. Nobody remembers what happens 10 years from now. You just remember, oh, that was the one year we sucked. And then that's it. It's pretty cool. Um, with the ESPN Plus stuff, WWE is coming up. I just think we should mention this quick where they could basically offset their network and just put it on ESPN Plus, or they could, the rumor was Peacock. Um, you basically take us over, pay us Well, WWE feed. has
1: their own streaming service. Right. Right. But I'm saying they like absorb all the pay-per-views. Yeah.
0: yeah, you basically absorb all the new content. No, a lo- they a could- lot like what ESPN did, but then also sell pay-per-views through the, whatever right. that is. And I think that's going to play out that way. What do you think of that model? Because I really like the model where these people were going, we're going to own our own stuff and distribute our own content. And now it seems like it's shifted to, Oh, wait a second. These jackasses are going to give us this. Ah, fuck it. The UFC thing. Like they were trying to build their own thing. They did. Or no,
1: no, UFC didn't. The Fight Pass. No, UFC had
0: the Fight Pass thing, which they were really committed
1: to. And then they were like, wait, all right, we'll just put it on ESPN Plus. Great. The big thing that people with all these streaming services, I think you're going to see this with all these new services that are launching. They're going to go through this same journey. Yeah. There's two costs. The first cost is the obvious one, which is to actually build the service to do customer acquisition, to actually do customer service, all of which you realize quickly realize just sucks, right? And it's expensive. The second cost is opportunity cost, which is the money you're not making from someone else giving you money, right? If you keep that content, you need to keep the content exclusive so people have a reason to sign up, but that means you're not getting paid by someone else for that content. And so this is the reason why all these streaming services like Netflix, I think is going to have a couple of rough years because everyone's going to is coming in. They're not selling Netflix content. Netflix has to do it on their own. But in five years, when they all go realize, wait, this sucks. Yeah, like, I, I don't want to do this. I just want to make shows. And Netflix is sitting there. We've been willing to pay you for five years to take friends off your hands or whatever it might be. And it's all going to go back to Netflix. And because to your point, this double this double cost, I think, is underappreciated. Everyone looks at Netflix or Spotify, or whatever, jealously but they don't realize that you have to have a like you have to have a mechanism to make up that that cost. This is why Disney for example, Disney's different. Disney doesn't just, you know, get have the great content to start out with. They don't need to acquire a lot of outside content, but also they people they get people to go to theme parks and they can get all their email addresses and all their data. Like Disney has billions of fans around the world that yeah. they don't know nothing about. You know, they reported what? 25 million new subscribers. Those are 25 million new people. They can contact directly and get them to buy toys and go to movies and special pre- sneak previews, go to theme parks, go on cruises. They have so many ways to pay off that double cost that it's worth it to them. But you have other like AT and T, Time Warner, like what? How are like they're going to sign up for your different phone service? It's ridiculous. And so I, I think you'll see these other ones. They realize that the economics, when you take the holistic view, ends up not making that much they're sense.
0: better as a seller, basically,
1: That's than right. as.
0: The, a self-creator. The,
1: right. The economics of creating something is you create a show once, then you can sell it a million times, right? That's why they've all been in this business, because it's a great business. You 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 put a lot of money up front, and then on the back end, it's all basically profit. Same, like, same as the tech industry. What they've decided to do is, okay, we're going to put all the money up front, and then we're going to keep bearing costs over time to serve our customers. That works if you can get to Netflix scale. If you're not at Netflix scale, you're bearing all this extra costs and you're restricting yourself from lots of revenue by not selling it to lots of other people and it just doesn't make much sense.
0: It's also how it's almost like the NBA title. How many people can actually be in the battle? That's right. You know, you yeah. can you can say you have 12 contenders, but you really don't. If you look at the Vegas odds right now, it's Milwaukee and the 2 LA teams. Everyone else is 20 to 1, 25 to 1, stuff like that because realistically it's going to be one of the three teams and I I think I feel the same way about the streaming wars where you kind of know who's going to end up standing. And what's going to be fascinating is what happens to the others. What happens to Peacock ultimately? Right. Which hasn't even launched yet. What does is, what is HBO Max look like five years from now? Are they doing what you said and just pivoting and just be like, ah, fuck it. We'll just sell stuff.
1: Yeah. If I'm throwing out random predictions, I could see Apple acquiring HBO like in the long run when at gets well, they've up always, on it. There's
0: always been rumors, right?
1: right? It just make, makes sense. And the other thing, because why does Apple acquire it? Apple doesn't. Uh, same with Amazon, they have uh, their own shows, not because they want to get subscription revenue because they want to sell other streaming services. Like Amazon makes a ton of money because people sign up for HBO via Amazon and then they get to take like a uh, percentage over time or, or things on those nature. That's why Apple did the Apple TV Plus, not because they want your $4.99 a month or whatever. It's because they looked at Amazon and be like, wait, our job is to skim off of other people's work in the app store. We want to do the same thing in TV. And yeah. so, uh, and so you'll, I think you'll see some shifts around there. But Netflix and Disney are for sure going to be there. You know, obviously HBO is just such a strong brand. It's such a legacy. Maybe it will survive. I'm not sure that at and is the right, you know. Or maybe it gets sold there, off. But, right. That's what I'm saying. I think yeah. it, it might get sold off. Um, all the other ones, it's hard to see them in the long run. Um, at some point, the idea of, wait, we can just sell our content to lots of people. And that actually makes more sense. So we don't have to bear all these extra costs. I think we'll we'll end up breaking through. I feel like Fox,
0: there was some world in which they could have really competed and they just said, screw it. And they merged with
1: Disney and created this Well, but no, remember but- Fox split though, because the other, the other thing that's attractive is like live stuff's still attractive. So yep. Fox kept the sports part. Murdoch kept the sports True. parts. He kept Fox News, which is the most profitable cable channel is ESPN. But the I'm saying all Fox that News. stuff
0: together could have been its own
1: maybe. But powerhouse. Like, but no, but the problem is, is what, like, you need a reason. What, what's the payoff for it? Disney, the payoff is we get all this customer information. We get to tie it into and then the we get Disney machine. It here, here, here. Right. Because you're competing with Netflix, where Netflix has, you know, 100 million, 120 million subscribers. Which means every dollar Netflix spends on content, they can spread out over one hundred and twenty million subscribers, so their economic advantage over everyone is permanent and structural, like so you're competing against that, so you have to decide I could sell to Netflix and their hundred and twenty million subscribers, or I could keep it for myself and my five million subscribers. Like you have to have a really compelling economic reason in the long run for that second option to make make more sense. did you notice the the Netflix stock, which usually
0: is that it usually peaks around 380 and then it, sometimes it'll dip to 280 depending on how people feel about this stuff. Now it is circled back. It seemed like people were afraid of Disney plus for Netflix. And now people are like, Oh, Netflix is awesome again. And yet you always hear different takes on like how solid they are. How much smoke and mirrors is it? How much money are they burning through at some point? What, what is, What's the end game for that when you're just spending, 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 spending and the counter would always be, which we've talked about on this pod, well, they can always raise subscription prices if they're ever in a bind. Would it, what are the next five years of their company look like? Because my guess would be they're going to merge or buy somebody to become even bigger.
2: Uh,
1: I don't know. I, I don't think they're going to do that. I think they're going to keep doing what they're doing. Like the they. So what has happened in Netflix, so everyone is aware that Netflix shifted from, so obviously they started DVDs and they shifted to streaming. Then the next shift their own hands in their mind as they went from streaming other people's content to streaming their own content. Yeah. And that's actually, I think, too simplistic of an understanding because what's happened is what it means to be Netflix content has changed over time. When you they started, the first one was House of Cards, right? They actually only, House of Cards was produced by someone else. Yeah. I think it was Sony, but I'm not sure. They, they only had rights to the House of Cards in the U.S., so the House of Cards showed on cable TV in Taiwan. Like right. I think that's where I actually saw it, right? And so it was a traditional model where someone else built the content, Netflix bought it, and then they also sold the content to Taiwan or to Europe or wherever it might be, a European country. And so that was that model. And it, it slowly shifted to, then Netflix started buying the worldwide rights so they could do it to all their customers. What's happened in the last two 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 and a half years is Netflix shifted to produ- doing the entire thing. Yeah, they produce all the content and that fundamentally well, they changes. also
0: buy their creators out and they're That's just like right. we're owning this and, from day
1: one. And so so that changes how they pay, though, because it used to be they would pay as the show was delivered. So that meant their their total expenditure was maybe more, but it was spread out over time. If you shift to the vast majority of your content is going to be, "We're doing it all," that means your upfront costs are pulled way forward. And so they're paying much more upfront for these shows, and that's why these two, three years, their negative cash flow has been astronomical, because they're in the middle of this fundamental shift of how they're paying for content. But that means going forward it's going to be much more smoothed out because they're going to get the return of all this upfront payment. So that's why they say, don't
0: have to deal with the creator nine years from now being like, hey, man, that's right. They own it all. They own yeah. everything.
1: Right. And so it's
0: really smart. I know yeah, I so, people don't love the creators don't love it as much, but it's a smart business model.
1: Yeah. And Netflix just has the power because we have all the users so we can come in. We pay you so much that it's worth your while. To sort of give up those rights in the in the long run, and they can keep all the upside. So they're they're in their cash that negative cash flow is going to be less next year, gonna be less going forward because it was just super high now because they were still paying for lots of shows with the old model, and then also investing in this new model. So it was like this two year crunch where they're going to have to outlay a ton of money, but they've gotten through that, and so it's it's going to only get sort of better from a cash flow perspective going forward.
0: Hey, now that we're in full swing in 2020 and everyone is vowing to restrictive resolutions, Pepsi wants to usher in the new decade a bit differently by encouraging everyone to unapologetically do what you enjoy, even in the face of others' judgment. So, Pepsi encourages you to let loose, be yourself, and live your life like nobody's watching. You know what I like to do sometimes on this podcast? Call my buddy Jacko. You know why? Because he lives his life loose like nobody's watching you know what he likes to do talk about baseball and complain about the red sox and uh most importantly talk about whatever the hell is going on in politics right now we're going to do all of that later in the podcast with uh with jacko but the thing i've learned with jacko you just let him loose you let him live his life like nobody's listening in his case i know you're listening but that's what you got to do pepsi that's what i like who who is a main player in this whole world five years from now that we don't see right now? Because if you think back to two thousand fifteen, there are some people that are here now that weren't there in two thousand fifteen like they are now. Is there anybody that like who though? Well,
1: the, you go back to twenty fifteen. That's when Iger did that earnings call, for example, and I I wrote about it at the time where Disney's going to be totally fine. They have all this content. They'll wake up at some point and realize they should do a streaming service. It turns out that what, you know, at least in Iger's telling, uh, you know, self-serving storyteller, to be sure. But uh, that was, he used that to convince the board to sort of shift, right? And you knew that Apple was probably going to do something. Uh, Netflix was well on their way. What, the other thing on Netflix that people don't appreciate is most of these guys, you, they're buying, uh, you're, you're buying a show because you want to attract customers because they want yeah. the show. Netflix doesn't do that. People go to Netflix. They open up Netflix. They said, then they decide what they're going to watch. Like they, people go to Netflix. Well, and then the
0: algorithm tailors it. That's right. Your Your habits.
1: People always think about
0: habits. (laughs) Kyle, it's, what is it all like? Uh, I do docs. I do docs Docs and action movies and some war, war TV shows. Yeah. There you go. There's
1: lots of algorithms showing Kyle content he wants to see. (laughs) Um, But there's, there's like uh, this idea where people think watching TV, people watch prestige TV all the time. No, actually people watch junk TV the vast majority of the time. And Netflix is like a pig wallowing in the mud of junk TV. Like they're just like, like you want to fill time with crap? Here's a whole shovel load of it. And we own it, it all. And so we're not we're not paying a marginal penny on it. And you're just consuming time just it's watching it. It's so this. funny
0: that, I mean, they must've had how many years of intelligence? Oh, and, and they it, just study the algorithm. They're like, ah, people like horror movies. People like serial killers. Yep. People, people like, like crime action movies. Whatever, yeah, yeah. They like crime procedurals. They like to, they like, we can't find this person who did this crime. And now 20 years later, we've found him. and they just keep doing it. Yep. It's a, and I've probably watched enough of it that the algorithm is just like, check this out. Hey man. Hey, another serial killer. Hey, right, this and, dude, this dude was eating And the that's the majority
1: because all the press attention is on the big shows, right? Those are useful to get new customers. But the way they keep old customers and people around, is it's just filler. It's just well, what, filling time. Have you
0: studied it all or done any research on what this writer strike will mean to all of this? Because I think it's going to be not only a strike, but I think it'll last for a while. And I don't know what the fallout's going to be. Because last time this happened in '08, it completely reset everything about Hollywood. In a lot of ways, that turned out to be bad for the writers. I, I have no idea. Right. Yeah, I think it's going to be a thing, and I, I don't really understand how it's going to play out either. If people aren't making new content, the libraries of the content you have becomes even more valuable. Oh if yeah, there's that's No shows,
1: you know what I mean. So Netflix might that be a good thing for them because they just have just gargantuan. They have this
0: war of, chest, yeah. And maybe people go back. I don't know what it means for network to be all that stuff. Um,
1: since be good for sports. Audio is something you become fascinated by. For sure. I mean, the, the it's it's super interesting, you know, I think, think about podcasts and versus music because music has been, is this sort of like, the crazy about music is if you were to go back 20 years ago and say, oh, by the way, uh, which media industry is going to be thriving in 2020? You wouldn't have picked music. <laughs> You're going to say that it's music? Yeah. You know, like it was about 20 years ago when Napster came out and like, yeah, it looked like they were going to be devastated. And they were, uh, but now, you know, Streaming is great. It's not. You, they make more money per user than they ever made in in the old they days. They don't want
0: people like us talking about it either.
1: <laughs> but I mean, no, it was, they're all raking it in, and they don't. They just want it to kind of. They're like, shh. Yeah. No. Th- like it goes up every year. They're gonna pass their peak in a couple of years of like the CD era. Um, it, it, it's amazing. Like, how, but they also the great thing about being a music company is the reason they have power and it's hard for companies like Spotify, or whatever, they have to pay them so much of their of their revenue is because. People listen to old music and, and, and the catalog is super, super important, kind of to your point there. And the great thing about music is the moment a record is created, it is now old music, right? It's in the catalog. Yeah. And so their negotiating position is like getting stronger over time as more music is made and has been getting stronger for years. The difference with podcasts, and this is why I think Spotify is so interested in that, is spot po- podcasts lose their value very quickly, which at first seems like a negative. Because it's like, well, uh, you know, I made, I spent money to to create this, and now I can't reuse it again and again, like you can with music or TV shows. But it turns out people only want to listen to new content with podcasts. Like no one's going back to listen to like old BS shows, right? They're, yeah. they're, they want to hear the new the new show, and so that's really great for Spotify because that means they if they get used to listening to podcasts in the Spotify app, they will keep they'll keep using the Spotify app. They want to listen to music, they'll be in the Spotify app. Eventually they say, these commercials are annoying and they'll pay to get rid of them. And now they're locked in and it's just a habit. And so podcasts are very good at creating habits, which is super beneficial for subscription business. I think about this, what I do, right? I try to send out an email every day and make sure it arrives in the morning because I hear from people, they read it every day over coffee or they read it on the subway every day. Like that habit is a super powerful part of subscription. Same with Netflix. Netflix, like people just sit down and watch Netflix. So they don't need to have a killer show all the time because people will just happily take whatever is on there. And so podcasts do that for Spotify in a way that I think music, music does not. And so that's a big reason they're going in that area. The combo of both of them. I think
0: there's been some advancements that's really helped too. Like headphones are better. AirPods,
1: shit like oh, that. AirPods are incredible the the for four podcasts in particular. The
0: phone, um, having it in cars like Spotify is in Tesla's now that's, it's like these little small victories where you think where we were 15 years ago, where it's like, oh, Walkman, and I've got to bring
1: my giant what, what, headphones. Where did, did you start? What did you start the podcast at ESPN?
0: I started the pod in 07. I started downloading Apple Music in 04, I remember. Yeah, yeah, it, well, I,
1: I, yeah I started. Uh, around I remember going to that giant iTunes. You go thingy. to iTunes yeah. and you would sync it to your iPod. Right. Yeah. And it was, well, it was, it was, first
0: you would download it on like your laptop
1: that's, right. And then try that's to,
0: right then it was like this whole
1: thing yeah it was this big song and dance now it, it's like that's why they're called podcasts which, which all the young kids don't understand there was actually a product called not airpods ipods that you you would use to listen to podcasts and that, apple's like oh it's gonna be a big thing and yeah, but in retrospect it was <laughs> download to your computer over slower internet speeds then you had to sync it to your thing and then you had to well, we had- and go walk around with your wired headphones that were terrible and now you don't need to download anything. You just press a button, pop the AirPods in your ear, and it's instant. Yeah, it's a huge technological So shift. it's,
0: like, basically tripled the amount of listening time people probably have just from cutting down the process. Oh, I, remember, I would say,
1: like, 300X. Yeah. yeah.
0: I remember when my podcast started in 07, it was only on ESPN Pod Center. I don't even think it was—I don't even think we were on iTunes. And you could just press a button, and it started playing, but the file was really compressed. So my voice sounded like this, <laughs> and it— You know the audio was just awful. If you go, some of them are still online, I think. Um, And then eventually, when we went on Apple, and I could feel the audience grow, it became this little like niche thing. And then I remember oh nine and two thousand ten. That was when people started, you know, stopping me or mentioning the podcast, not my column. And I'd be like, "So you don't you listen to me? You don't read me?" Like I I just couldn't get over it. Yeah, it was like this little novelty thing we were doing. But I'm reading this book right now. I'm almost done. I'm trying to read 75 books this year, all nonfiction. I'm just trying to get smarter because I turned 50. I was worried the internet was breaking my brain. But I'm reading this book about...
1: Uh, Maybe it broke your brain by thinking you need to read 75 books in a year. But.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, it makes my brain actually work better. So I'm reading this book by Lizzie Goodman about uh, when New York music took off again in 2001 with the Strokes and all those bands. And there's this whole section about Napster. Basically, it seemed like the end for music. Where like Interpol put out, they had an album that was going to come out, and three months before it came out, everyone heard it on the internet for free. And it's like, well, what does this mean? Or is this is this a nuclear war? Where do where do we come out of this? And now you think where they are in two thousand twenty, and it's it's just an amazing comeback.
1: Yeah, we had to change what you were selling, right? You used to what the music industry was selling was not music; they were selling physical items that played music, right? And everyone thought they're in the music industry. It turns out they were in the plastic disc industry. And so once plastic discs went away, then the the, the money went away. It's what happened to newspapers. Yeah. Newspapers weren't selling news; they were selling bundles of paper that advertisers could put their ads on. It's the only way to reach reach consumers. Right. Right. So what what the music industry sells now is they sell convenience. Like that's what they, that's what Spotify is. You could still piracy is still possible. It's, you could still go out there, there. Who the hell wants to bother when for ten dollars a month? It's trivial. It's right there. You don't have to do this weird song and dance to download stuff your computer and put it on your phone. No, you just press a button and stuff plays. And and that that's it turns out people like convenience. Like that's always been the case. The convenient option always wins over the technically superior option or or the other option or whatever. You can charge for convenience. And that's what that's what the music labels sell basically. Via, new- via Spotify, via Apple Music, via you know, whoever else will sell their stuff.
0: Do you think we're done with innovations or is there another level to go to? Because I never could have guessed that the AirPods, which by the way, Apple will tell you this too, is the single most popular thing they've ever made. They can't keep them in stock. Everybody loves them. They have unanimous <laughs> approval rating Yeah, they're, and, no. and people just want more and more. And they just made these new ones that my wife got me for Christmas where the Air it's AirPods like Pro. the sound canceler where you can basically just walk, you get hit by a car. You can't hear anything. You can shut out and you're on an airplane and it's like you're not on the airplane. You're just like in your own little world. So I don't I don't even know what's next from an innovation standpoint, but I'm sure something's coming.
1: Yeah. I mean, you can see them getting even smaller and, Maybe. They, and the, like the, the transparency mode on AirPods Pro is uh, incredible, right? You can have noise canceling or you can do the transparency where it pipes in outside sound. But you can hear perfectly what you're listening to. True, because and so you actually have the volume much lower. It's actually better for you because you're. It's just it's layered on top of the sound on the outside. And now what uh, AirPods Pro are with the transparency turned on, that is augmented reality. Like it actually yeah, is. I agree. Because you, there's there's you're layering on something onto the the outside world. And so I think there's a ton more. That's going to happen in the sort of the audio space. And so it's a great place to be just generally because you can see, especially these get smaller, people just have them on permanently. Like they'll all, it's already super convenient to pop out of your pocket and put it in. Imagine with something small and you just have it in your ear all the time and you're, you're, you have information flowing in constantly. And it's to press a podcast now is not to, we're going to look back and say, we sit here like, oh, imagine you had to use your computer to download and to sync up your iPod you know, Kyle in the future is going to be hosting a podcast. I mean, you had to pull it out of your pocket and then you had to put right. it in your ear and like, imagine how inconvenient and barbaric that was. So I, I think there's definitely a lot, a lot that's going to happen here. Well, it's turned the city of New York into invasion
0: of the body snatchers. You walk around there and it's just, everybody's got AirPods on. They're all just kind of not interacting, <laughs> yeah. looking at anyone. And it's just all these people just lost into their own music podcast world. And that's it. It's made car made driving around, you know, LA you drive a lot. It's it's so much more fun just to like Listen live to here than it was 15
1: years ago. For sure,
0: where 15 years ago you you have your little CD book, putting CDs in. Yeah, and you're, and you're listening stuff. to the
1: same CD for the 47th, 47th
0: time. What does it mean for serious? What what happens long term for them? Because everyone thought four or five years ago they were going away, but they haven't, and they seem like they still have a foothold. But it when you think like that, people can just do whatever they're doing on their phone and just put it in their car immediately, it would seem like it would be bad for Sirius, but it doesn't seem
1: like it has been. Uh, yeah, I don't, I, I mean, I, what I would say about Sirius is I don't pay any attention to Sirius. So yeah, it's probably what you need to away. say. Yeah. Well, no, it's was, it was not just that. It's like, yeah, it, there's probably a use case that still exists. I think they're kind of muddling along. Um, I think they've done a fair bit with being able to to also stream their content. Um, Like they have an app or stuff like that. I, But I mean, I, I don't think they're, necessarily a, a significant player and i, mean, I the, the the what they did figure out is like the power of exclusives obviously yeah. right i mean they you know the the stern deal was was transformative uh and not just for them but for really emphasizing the world that we're in is a subscription world where you yeah. need a reason for people to seek you out and And so the power of someone like uh, a Howard Stern or the power of someone like a Bill Simmons is so much higher (laughs) because it draws people. It's an attraction to, to, to your platform. And that, by the way, it doesn't mean that you have the payoff is necessarily people paying you money, right? Serious it is, but it could be, Oh, we get to build an ad network. For example, Which I think Spotify's angle is right. The ringer is going to be free to everyone, but it's going to be Spotify now to build up this area, which for podcasts, you know, it's super dispersed, like like email. That's a great thing about them is they're they're super spread out. Anyone can do it. Anyone can build a player that can pull it in. Uh, It's terrible for monetization, right? Who actually made money in email was like Microsoft with like exchange server and building a centralized thing, right? Spotify is trying to become a centralizing force in podcasting because you have to have something in the middle, centralized, to actually have the scale to go get advertisers at a meaningful way, not just like Casper mattresses or whatever, but actually like like big, big, big picture advertising. So it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. I mean, there's pluses and minuses to it. As someone who benefits from stuff being super open, it makes me a little wary. At the same time, my business analyst on is like, oh, it makes total sense. It's exactly what they should be doing. It is so much more upside in the long run than music. Like music, I think we'll look back at Spotify and music was like a lost leader where it got them at scale so that they could actually go and do this other thing that is much more profitable and and will probably be e- even bigger going forward. Well, I don't know if you know this, but I've had a couple conversations with them. Oh, really?
0: Yeah. Um, now, their goal is to keep people on their app and keep people on their platform, which is anyone's goal, right? That's the same thing as Netflix wants you to go on Netflix and stay on Netflix. Apple wants you to go to Apple, stay in Apple. And I think with Spotify, what they realized is people who listen to podcasts are then more likely to listen to more podcasts, more music, and just kind of go there first. That's right. And how do you get the person to come there? And then how do you keep them there? I look at where audio is. And one of the reasons I was so attracted to working with Spotify was, I, I think audio right now in 2020 is kind of where video was in maybe 2013.
1: I got a better, I got a better analogy for you. Okay, go. It's where the internet was in the 90s. Oh, that's Where good. you had all these pages all over the place and you could go to these pages and, you had these, and there was no, like there was advertising, like remember, like punch the monkey yeah. or whatever. <laughs> like right, that. right, right, right. Because there was no centralized player. What it took was Google coming along and being the entryway to the web. True. And then Google basically sat on top of the entire disparate internet, centralized it into one place from people's perspective, then laid advertising on top of it and made just gargantuan amounts of money doing so. That's where podcasts are, right? They're all spread out. They're all disparate there's no one place to to figure out like where to go and put it all together and so Spotify had to gold. monetize it correctly that's right that's right yeah you can use any podcast player to get any podcast but you, there no one has the scale except for Apple to do the advertising piece right and Spotify is great it's funny Spotify is very mad at Apple uh justifiably so they filed a, an antitrust complaint against them in the in the EU because Apple gets to take 30 percent or if if someone signed up in Spotify so Spotify removed it you have to sign up via the web but Spotify can't even put a wink in their app to like go to the web and sign up, right? Like this, this whole song and dance, I think is actually very abusive by Apple that, you know, especially because they have Apple Music competing. So they're very mad at Apple. At the same time, they should be on their like hands and knees, like thinking Apple, that Apple had this massive opportunity in podcasts and has utterly declined to take any sort of advantage of it. They, the majority of podcasts are still listened to on on Apple Podcast Player. They have all that they could have all the data, all the infrastructure to build what Spotify is trying to build, and they're just not doing it. Which means Spotify is going to walk into this opportunity that's going to be much more profitable than music in the long run. And uh, and so Apple, yes, they're very mad at them, but they should also be thinking them.
0: I think for Apple's small potatoes, it's right. Them. It's too
1: small. It's too small for them. They
0: think like we if we make the right phone, we make a cajillion dollars. <laughs> yep. And we could just make as many AirPods as we and we just print money with them. And they you know what's interesting though from me from the and obviously it's a little dicey for me to talk about given my own situation here, but did something happen? Well, maybe. <laughs> um I thought it was interesting that they cared way more about Apple TV and building that brand versus kind of trying to own audio.
1: I I think it was and a big I don't mistake. Really,
0: I, don't I don't really either. understand why they played it that way because on the TV side, just so you can go buy somebody.
1: They should just, Well, they should have bought Netflix like five years ago.
0: Or buy, they could
1: have, <laughs> buy, I feel
0: like they could have taken down HBO yeah. if it was the right price three, four years ago. Or just buy some studio or whatever. I don't, to try to do that internally and you're hiring people and it's never going to work with the executives you have initially and all that stuff. Yep. Um, I just would have, I feel like they could have, I know they could have owned audio f- two thousand fourteen, fifteen. It would have been over.
1: No, for sure. For I, not
0: that much money either.
1: No, it's it's absolutely true. It, I I have no like explanation for it beyond the fact it was just no. A we, massive we did we mistake. did explain it.
0: It's small potatoes to them. No,
1: th- that's true. That's true. But, but they could have dominated it. They could have like the other thing is you can't look at podcasts as it is today because number one. Still, most people don't listen to podcasts, and number two, it's dramatically undermonetized for the amount of people that do listen to it. So you have when well, there's number for three too. We're in the very
0: primitive stages of innovation. That's right. People either doing podcasts like this, conversational, or they're doing narratives, and that's really it. Like even we did the hottest take for Spotify, which has been successful for them. That's kind of an atypical podcast. It's seven minutes. It's one take. It's weird. I think five years from now, podcasts are going to be so much weirder and eclectic than they are now. That's I, right. In
1: all sorts of genres or whatever. Nah, it's like the true,
0: how many serial took off? How many true crime podcasts do we have after Oh, that? yeah. You a think million? Netflix is
1: churning out like yeah, crime stories? Just wait until Spotify well, starts churning them well, out.
0: Well, they're already churning them out, though. That's
1: right. That's right. They have a whole. A, a whole. But everybody is. It's, yep.
0: it's this it's this fountain that never stops sprouting New stuff because there's always going to be more crime. But the big thing people is, people love is
1: crime. Spotify, it, but Spotify is going to have so much more scale that their capability of monetizing that is going to be so much is going to be so superior. The, the, the huge opportunities in advertising, like, the, and they're going to have so much more capability of doing that. It's going to be a, a similar situation to Netflix where their capability to monetize is going to be so much better than anyone else that they'll be able to. All the top talent will come to them. They'll just be able to to like their well, economics so the, will be the really other much way. Better.
0: The advertising thing, the way to think about it, which doesn't exist right now and is really hard and people have messed around with it a little bit, but the dynamic advertising, the way, to, the best way to describe it is if I'm watching a basketball game on ESPN and I'm in Milwaukee and then cuts to the, and there's local ads for like, you know, Bob's car shop in Green Bay, check us out. But in Boston, I'm watching it there and I'm getting like uh, Jordan's furniture. And
1: you're, I, you're I thought all you were these drop out of Massachusetts accent. I'm, I'm sorry. There's we didn't get that.
0: 70 different cities showing the ads locally. And they're just, instead of just one ad that they're getting money from, they're getting 70 different smaller versions. That probably adds up to more. And I think when you look at uh, just where stuff's going with audio and if we, if we could potentially by we, I just mean like the audio community, if there's a way to target somebody in Kansas city specifically, Hey, there's a chief's game on Sunday. Um, tickets are ten dollars off, go to this website. But then in like, you know, Dallas, it's like, hey, Cowboys fans, go and come to the Cowboys Team Store. That's the upside of all. Well, what's
1: really gonna what's gonna happen too, though, because it's streaming, it's not like we it's not just a file that you're downloading when you listen on Spotify, right? A regular podcast player, you download a file so the the ads are set. You can dynamically insert an ad on download, which some folks have tried to do, but Spotify, because it's streaming, they can know it's Ben Thompson in Los Angeles right. listening and they can put an ad just for me. So right. we could be listening to the same podcast. Ben, and ben and likes cheeseburgers. Other. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And, and we could actually get different ads. Uh, and that's, that's where they're really going to take it. And that's going to, and then, then they can actually give much more actionable data and feedback to advertisers that they know it's being listened to. They know who it's reaching and their ability, their, the, how much they can charge. will will will, will The only thing you, know, you said that I
0: disagreed that with is that, Podcasts lose their value almost immediately because I actually don't think that's the case for some of them, and I know like with ours, like the rewatchables. That's right.
1: So no, if you look at, I used to listen to a bunch of the binge mode ones. The same thing. So that's another ones. one. But that's to your point. There's going to be innovation in podcast types, right? But I, yeah, I but was the, I was locked on like the conversation about like the news. No, no, the week I'm, I'm with thing. you,
0: but I think one of the reasons that I wanted to do the book of basketball podcast because I wanted to create a podcast that you could listen to nine years from now, and I think with the stuff I'm doing on this feed. It, it's going to like me and Sal guess in the week 15 lines, that's, that's over in two days. Oh, You're and not, the paracordial
1: will uh, last forever. Yeah, I guess the <laughs> quarter might last,
0: but you know, book of basketball, we saw it with the rewatchables where we hit a point, probably September, October, if you look at the total listens for like a month, half of it was for the four new pods we put up. The other half was for the entire library. And, you know, for us, like, I want to create more stuff that could potentially have a
1: life. And this is a huge opportunity for Spotify too, to start, you're walking down the street. I've already listened to my, my new podcast. I want something else to listen to. And they, that just like Netflix, they can algorithmically start surfacing stuff that they know I'm interested in, that I like, and I can binge on like a right. new crime procedural podcast, whatever it might be. So yeah, I think it's interesting because I was very, a lot of people were putting uh, down Spotify, you know, Spotify was trying to make the case they're a Netflix comparison when they IPO'd. And my argument at the time was, you know, they're not because of this margin piece and the fact that music companies are much more powerful relative to Spotify than Spotify is, you know, than Netflix is relative to, to the content producers. But in the case of podcasts, they absolutely can be like Netflix. And so there the comparison makes much more sense. So it's like Spotify has like two different businesses that are both about listening, but the economics and value chains are totally different. And 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 so what they're building now is actually in the long run, I think it'd be much more interesting, much more valuable than anything they would have ever been able to do in music. There's another similarity too. they were a technology company that eventually
0: started caring about content. And I think with Netflix, like ultimately the reason Netflix started winning was they, of the technology they had. And once they figured out how to combine the technology with their content decisions, it took off. And I, I think with Spotify, I, you know, it's a, it's a really fascinating company that. Unlike where Netflix was, I think six, seven, not to make it sound like a Spotify infomercial, but they just have less people competing with them right now. That might change two, three years. But when Netflix was doing what they were doing, all these other big people saw it. They just got there earlier, planted their flag on it and got basically how many, uh, how many year had started on Disney plus, like.
1: Oh, like five years six years no six they years? started streaming like in 2011 I want to say right yeah so Wong had started I mean Disney was selling them content until 20 like 2015 2016 I've told this story before but I remember Connor
0: the guy I created 30 30 with 30 30 was done we had finished the first
1: series I, you told this story yeah, when yeah. I was on the podcast yeah, last yeah. time and, was, <laughs> and
0: he was like we sold it again and I was like what and now you think like that's was Netflix's genius it's Absolutely. like yeah, well here's some money and people are like cool money. And what that did and was and then they just built this work. because that was the model, right? Cuz they, they you yeah. build built stuff
1: you could sell it again and again and that gave Netflix this sort of content runway to start building up their own stuff because they had, you know, they could build up the the streaming capability and the customer base and then start investing. And again, the the, the self just their own content being this long process of buying stuff and then doing the whole thing and then now producing the whole thing. Yeah, it, it's it's brilliant. Netflix, I you know, if there's one you Something like Google, it's like, it's impressive in a way. They were the right place, right time, right place. They had clearly superior technology, but like it was a disparate market. Someone was going to come in and just clean up that whole thing they did. What Netflix has done, the way they sort of laddered up their business, come into a very like profitable and strong entity and just basically disrupted the entire thing is super impressive. I think the most impressive sort of like management story intact probably in a lot of ways. It just, it's... its
0: We never mentioned Amazon. Is Amazon lurking with all this before we go? I, I think Amazon... Because uh, Amazon like just decided one day we're going to get into grocery delivery. Right. <laughs> I, and I, yesterday my wife ordered Instacart and it was a bunch of Amazon bags that showed up and you think like, well, they weren't doing this a year ago. So I think we've all learned never to rule them out with
1: anything. So it goes in two directions. So right now, like I said, their value from, from content is... It's a way for them to sell other subscriptions to other stuff. Uh, A reason why they wouldn't do it is Amazon is like really at its core, like a logistics company. And they're building up this massive just capability where other people can sit on top and then they, you know, to take a skim off of all that. A reason why Amazon would do it is because Amazon is very good at things that take a lot of money. They're like, they just spend and they will, they will get a return from it. The reason why though, I think they won't ultimately is because Netflix beat them to it, right? Like Netflix already spent all the money is already in the position. Like Amazon would love to be the, we'll have random crap for you to watch and we'll just be omnipresent. That's like, that's like Netflix is what Amazon would want to be. Amazon wouldn't want to be a prestige TV provider. They'd want to be a default, always on the background sort of provider, but Netflix beat them to it. So I, I. I think they'll probably just sort of stay where they are, and they probably compete with Apple with the stuff like Twenty One Bridges is now available
0: to rent. That's right. Come App- here, or come to Apple.
1: That's right. Apple and Amazon, I think, are directly competing for for that mark to sell not just individual episodes, but also to sell subscriptions to to other other people. Keeping a library services. of all
0: your you know all your digital things. That's that right. That that's right. Bought. And
1: so you can you can search on Amazon for a show and it happens to be on HBO. And they'll sell users to HBO. If you already have HBO, then they'll start playing it. Like they'll own the interface layer, Yeah. And everyone else sort of plugs into it, but they won't uh, make the, the level of investment in content that Disney or Netflix will.
0: Last thing, um, you get to regurgitate some of your old content here. So I'm sure at the end of the decade last year, you're making predictions for the 2020s. And I'm sure you've been thinking about it. Give us one prediction for the 2020s.
1: Well, I think the the big thing is everyone in technology always assumes that what's the next wave? What's the next thing that's going to come along and be the big thing? And I, and this is a bit contrarian, a bit risky because people will definitely throw this in my face if I'm wrong. Uh, I don't think there is a next big thing from a company perspective. Like we're going to have like the ear stuff we talked about, right? And we'll have AR glasses. But I think the people that will win that is going to be Apple and it's going to be like Amazon and Microsoft and the, the companies that are there. Like we have phones in our pockets and we have these cloud services that are available anywhere in the world. And what's the logical endpoint to that? Like we went from a mainframe in a room. It's been kind of expanding, expanding, expanding. Like unless we're going to have like interstellar like cloud services or, you know, omnipresent computing in a way that's actually like the thing with the phone is this screen is genuinely useful for basically anything you want to do. Once you get smaller, there's some use cases where it's valuable. But there's by definition stuff you just literally like you can't read on something once it, like that's in your ear, for example, or watch a watch a TV show. So what's gonna happen is they're all gonna be adjuncts to the phone. So you'll have something in your ear and you'll have the phone there as like with it. And so I think th- like we will be with, I think it's gonna be Apple and Amazon and like the same big companies in 10 years are gonna be the big companies. But what's so all the innovation this stuff's gonna happen is gonna happen on top of that. Everyone's mm-hmm. gonna assume, oh, okay, wait. We assume everyone has a phone. We assume there's cloud services everywhere. Now, what sort of stuff can we build given that assumption? Which is like what Uber is, right? Uber is like, oh wait, if everyone actually has a phone with them, then they can use that to call a cab and they can come come pick me up. Like that assumes the presence of the phone. And so I think this idea of like, the phone's going to go away or be disrupted, like the PC was disrupted or the mainframe. I actually don't think that's going to happen. I think we're, this paradigm, broadly speaking, is going to be where we're at. And then we'll have lots of innovation on top of that.
0: I have one smaller prediction that ties into the thing you're gonna about to plug. I think these companies are all gonna make it a lot easier for self-creator, kind of self-businesses, people who create their own content to just have subscriptions for them. Absolutely. So you th- know, probably be Apple and Spotify and whoever else, where it's just like, here's my thing, in one click, now you're a subscriber. And I don't have to get fucked on the back end of people sharing the password, all that. It's tied specifically to your Apple ID, your Spotify, whatever you have, and that's it. And you're my customer, and you one button,
1: you're here. That's super interesting. I I, I don't know if that's gonna. Like, I I do think there will be. It'll be much easier to be a creator going forward. Like that doesn't mean it's be easier to succeed because <laughs> there'll be more competition, but it'll be easier to. It'll like, be easier
0: to create and and get money from people that like what you're creating. That's right. Like This is sort of called
1: like Substack. That is explicitly modeled on Stratechery. But then instead of me having to put all the pieces together and figure it out in 2013, they'll like, it's it's in a box. You just sign up and you have all the tools right there. Boom, you're off. That's right. Uh, So I think that will continue. Uh, We're going to see it happen with podcasts. There's been a bunch of new podcasts that are uh, like 4Pay Podcasts. And you go and you click a button and it loads into your existing podcast player, just like email, it, yeah. like uses the free standards. And so I think that will continue. Will Apple and Spotify enable that is a very interesting question, because on one hand, they would rather you just pay the bundle price. But on the other hand, is it like you have an add on? So you usually pay $10 a month for Spotify, but then you could pay $15 a month. if You want Spotify plus search uh, I, I don't know. It, or could they get a cut from the feed too? Well, the, well for the, sure they same would take thing a cut for apps from that. Right? Yeah, what are yeah. they looking for apps?
0: 30, 30%, 30% percent, right? yeah,
1: yeah. It's, it's very interesting. I don't know.
0: I, Which I don't, is a pain in the ass if you want to rent a movie on Amazon, but then you have to actually go to the Amazon website, type in the whole thing, be like, can I rent this? And then you go
1: back to Apple TV. The reason why it's compelling though is because they already have, and this is Spotify, why Spotify doing music first was important because yeah. it got them a huge user base. Yeah, That they can leverage to do this, right? Because if I'm going to be part of a bundle, you have to make sure that I'm going to make just as much or if not more money than I'm making by myself. Right. Which means you got to bring a whole lot of people to the table that I'm going to Which get. they a, basically a, tried with Apple News, right? Right. And, it, it, and it, it I don't hasn't know really if it's worked. worked or not. No, it hasn't worked at all. And, yeah. and I think the, and a part of it was papers like the New York Times didn't join yep. because it was, why would I want to share? I actually like Apple News.
0: It has a lot of magazines. It's got the LA Times. It's, it's got great a for end things. users, and this is yeah.
1: and this is app, always Apple's problems in these spaces. It's great for end users, but the actual publishers get screwed. It's yeah. like the, say the, the apps are like the. It's great for end users. You can buy once and get updates forever. Really sucks to be for a, for a developer. And so you, I think you've actually seen there should have been much more innovation as far as apps on the phone, and I think there hasn't. Maybe been. Maybe that's coming though. No, that well, I, I think could Apple, be one of our innovations. Maybe for two thousand. That require that require Apple to to sort of. Become much more developer friendly. Uh, that in a way they've just never really shown that, that they want to be. So, all
0: right. All right so the strategery.
1: There you go. Two for two. I did a two for two
0: <laughs> newsletter. You can uh, just go to strategery. dot um, Yeah, there's free posts. So you can ben go, Thompson. The posts are great. They've been. Me. I don't remember when I first became a subscriber, but uh, it was only because you 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 just signed me up. Well, you no, were like, I, I, I think
1: you'll like this. I have to say that uh, I am super happy for you. It's so cool that you, Thank you. you did this sell. I'm a little bit bummed because uh, I wrote the post. I think this is when you signed up. I wrote a post when Grantland closed. Yeah. Saying like, actually, the way the business model should be is you should use text to build an audience and monetize via podcast. You need to be a holistic media company. But that's what I was telling them at the time. That's right. And so, I, so we were two peas in a pot on that. And then you built it with the ringer. And it was successful, so I could point to oh, this is super successful. Like I <laughs> talked about this five years ago, and uh, and and now now it's no longer independent entity. But I think the the uh, this what, what what Spotify was willing to put into it demonstrates that that it was right. So I appreciate that.
0: Thank you for all the support. I've enjoyed reading it over the years. Always nice. to I don't know if we've done one in person, have we? We, or did we the did first we one we did one? in person. Did we? And the
1: second one was on the phone. Yeah. Our, so it's our third one. Third one. Yeah, ah,
0: the trilogy. There we
1: oh, go. Because I the second one on the phone, I had the epic Jason Kid rant. Oh, and yeah, he got right. fired a month later. Well, uh, I
0: didn't want to talk about the Bucs because I think it's always been bad luck talking about the Bucs. But man, 70 wins is in play. It's, it's not inconceivable because they can actually win when Giannis
1: doesn't play, which, which I, Middleton them, is unbelievable this year. I he's mean, been he, really good. He, he, 28 minutes a game. I think that uh, Bunoz didn't know how to use him last year. There was a, a clash. Oh, yeah. Where he was Middleton wanted to play in the mid post more. And Bunoz was like, no, we're shooting threes. And that like middle is a great three point shooter, but that's not his game. Right. This year he's operating out of the mid post much more. He's operating the pick and roll much more. Yeah. Like, that's actually up significantly more. And he's killer in the pick and roll because he's so tall. He comes off and it doesn't matter for guys because he's six, nine. And so a guys in his grill, he just rises up and shoots over him. It's like, it, what time are the games on in Taiwan? Uh, it's they're on about 8 eight a.m. for me. So oh, that's I nice. Yeah, it's perfect. A I wake coffee. Yep. I wake up and watch the games and then, then get to work. I
0: desperately want the Celtics to get to the two seed and not have to go anywhere near Milwaukee no. until round so three. If
1: you want me, I'm full of complimenting. Bill, uh, I worry about the Celtics more than when in the East. Yeah. Cause uh, we, we match up. Okay. With uh, Milwaukee. The, Milwaukee's weakness is the wings. Yeah. And you guys have all those wings. And it's like every game that we play that bucks jump out ahead. And then it's just this drip, 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 drip where we're just every possession. We're getting killed on the wings and yeah. like loose balls, rebounds, like slashing, whatever. And so I'm, uh, uh, in the East, I'm most worried about Boston. Well, we're actually. taping
0: this on a Tuesday. The the Celtics thing that's changed the most is Tatum's really starting to put it together in, in like, real ways. And ultimately, in you know, a series against Giannis, and Kemba will be there.
1: You'll have your guys be there. And, but yeah, ultimately, Kemba kills our drop defense, too, yeah. right? We, we have to switch out of what we do. But we'll, if Tatum. we
0: beat the Bucs in a playoff series, it would be because Tatum and Brown went to another level and killed your ranks. And just outplayed them, and then everything else was kind of either you kind of held on or negligible or whatever. I can't wait. I hope I hope they end up playing and round through. it It'll be fun. Yeah, ben Thompson, are fun. Uh, thanks as always. All right, we're calling Jacko in one second. Wanted to remind you about the newest podcast from the Ringer Podcast Network. It's called Music Exists. The hosts are Chuck Klosterman and Chris Ryan, longtime friends from back in the New York days. You know Chris as uh, the executive editor of The Ringer? I think that's his title now. If it's something else, my apologies, Chris. I think that's what what we titled do Google but it real quick? <laughs> inner inner circle guy. Uh, I've been with Chris for the last 10 years. And Chuck, was um, when we launched Grantland, was prominently involved for that first year. And we've always been trying to get into a podcast. We finally figured out a format and a structure that we liked. And it's about music. And it tries to accomplish a whole bunch of different things, but it's big picture, really smart conversations about specific themes based off of albums, singers, uh, trends, whatever. And, you know, it's hard to crack the music podcast format, but I think this one is really good. You can check it out on Spotify. It launches next week, but follow it right now on Spotify. And then when the first episode drops, it will be right in your Spotify, the playlist, whatever, your library, whatever. It will be there and you can listen to it. It's really good. Check it out. Music exists. More details on the uh, on the Ringer feed and everyone else. And speaking of music, we did the Dave Grohl podcast that we ran uh, earlier this week. It is the full episode of that is on our Ringer YouTube channel. So if you like to actually look at us when we're talking, you could see I'm a little hungover. I'm, I'm as pale as I've ever looked in my entire life. I, I actually wanted to color tint it to make, to make it look like I had more color in my face. But uh, it's like a, basically an interview TV show for that one. So if you like watching this stuff, check that out as well. All right, let's call Jacko. All right, the, the fans have been demanding it. They don't know where he's been. There's been all kinds of Red Sox chaos. There's cheaters in baseball. Politics is in full swing. And he's here right <laughs> now. Our buddy Jacko. Jacko, uh, this is your kind of time. The Red Sox traded their best position player in 60 years. The Democratic Party is going nuts. Uh, There's cheaters in baseball. This is really when you thrive.
3: (laughs) It's my time to shine.
0: (laughs) Let's start with Mookie Betts. Do you want to congratulate me for losing our best position player in 60 years?
3: Uh, Yes, I feel very good about it. Uh, It's completely nonsensical. Um, I don't understand why for the life. Well, first of all, the Red Sox, like the Yankees, should never, ever, ever cry poverty. Because they both have a license to print money, and the Red Sox have basically branded every single thing in the ballpark, outside of the ballpark, anything you could buy, any break in the game, everything. I like the Yankees, right? So they make money hand over fist, and the notion that the luxury tax is really hamstringing them is insanity. It's crazy. It's and go ahead.
0: I they also gave the Dodgers forty eight million dollars.
3: Right. As part of the trade. Right. So they did this grand trade to ostensibly restock their depleted farm system and save a lot of money. But they're paying 48. So they got rid of David Price's contract, but not all of it, just half of it. So they're paying the Dodgers $48 million. And they got back Jeter Downs. I love that he's named after Derek Jeter and grew up a ferocious Yankees fan, by the way. Yeah, that hurt. Who is okay. Who is a semi highly regarded prospect, I guess. They got a catcher who is not super highly regarded. And they got Alex Verdugo, who looks like the lead singer in a limp biscuit cover band. <laughs> so I'm and has super a bad excited back. about these developments. And has a bad back. And a bad attitude, apparently. There's some questions about that. So and and he's gonna you know, he's in a rough spot because he has enormous shoes to fill because the fans, by and large, love Mookie. So the first sign of trouble for him of not, you know, hitting well or missing the cutoff throw or something, the fans are going to just murder him, basically. Not literally, but I mean, you know, with verbal abuse and what have you. And that will be ugly. And then he'll get ugly with the press. And it's going to be fantastic, I think.
0: I have a couple Dodgers fans' friends, including one who absolutely loved Verdugo and called him Doogie, which I thought was funny. And <laughs> said he spread the, spreads the ball to all fields and all that stuff. But after the trade got whatever happened where it was on hold because of the twins prospect that we were trading for who could not pass a physical exam. And my Dodger fan friends were like, we're panicking this, the backlash the Red Sox received, they're going to back out. There's no way they're going to trade Mookie now. And I'm like, no, no, don't worry. They're going to trade him. They're, they're stupid. (laughs) They're 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 for some reason want to get rid of this guy. And I got to say, it's perplexing. Like even if you just look at the basic premise of we have to dump Price's contract, but we're going to compete. Okay, well, they're paying forty eight million to get rid of him. I think we're paying Martín Perez like seven million for this year, <laughs> right? Ostensibly to replace Price. So now, now I'm at fifty five million. 55 but then, million, right? Next year's guy to replace Price, he'll cost like seven to eight million because you can't get anybody who can throw 150 innings for less than five to 7 million these days. By the time you add it all up, it's that 48 million plus 7 million a year for a mediocre guy who's not as good as price saves you 75% of what they just would have paid price. Like why are we cutting corners? They make 500 million a year. What are they doing? And,
3: and the thing with Mookie where they were, you know, they supposedly offered him a $300 million contract and he supposedly came back and wanted a $420 million contract. Yeah. So they're $120 million apart. He's not a free agent until the end of this season. So unless you were going to get blown away with like team's top prospects and you were really going to like have all these like young studs that would be great for you in the future, which no team was going to offer when he's going to be a free agent. Why wouldn't you just hang on to him for a year? Let him explore free agency when he then does not get $420 million because who's giving him $420 million? Right. Unless the Yankees get involved, like the, like the Angels gave Mike Trout four hundred million million, one, One, because he's Mike Trout, and two, because he's the only game they have in town. If they didn't give him that, they might as well fold as a franchise. Mookie is great. He's not getting $420 million. So let him explore free agency, and then when he does not get four hundred and twenty million dollars, he comes back to the Red Sox, and maybe they sign him for three hundred or three or three fifty or three twenty five or something that's more allegedly manageable for them. Why wouldn't they do that when you're not going to get a massive prospect call? So to do this to get rid of forty eight, like you say, you know, forty eight million dollars of Price's contract, but then you threw it. You know, you had to pay another seven, so really it's forty one million of Price's contract. Yeah. Uh, I don't understand like what what, the Red Sox really need to save $41 million that badly to get Alex Verdugo and Jeter Downs.
0: I also, I don't know this whole, we need to reset our competitive balance tax thing just sounds so shady. It's like you have to reset it. Why? Because you might have to pay an extra 40 million bucks this year. Well, I'm sorry. You're not going to make 110 million from the team this year, it's only going to be 60. Nobody feels bad. But the fundamental thing that I just can't wrap my head around is there's like five, six teams in the league who can really afford a guy like Mookie, who by all accounts, by any statistical evaluation, is one of the best five to 10 players in the league, depending on what list you're looking at. But the big thing is he's only 27. This, This isn't like... You know he's 33 years old, and you're doing like the Albert Pujols contract, right. where where you're looking at like oh man when out when this guy's 38 and 39 it's he's going to be a DH it's a disaster. This guy's an amazing two way player, and you know of course the Dodgers were going to do that trade. He was like oh man this Dodgers deal might get held up. They they have to come up with a different prospect. No, no they were doing the deal because <laughs> they're getting oh, Mookie Betts. And guess what else? Like, not bad to have David Price either. Because he's two of four years with the Red Sox. He, you know, he's a guy who can go 16 and 10 and throw 200 innings if he's healthy. He's certainly better than whatever their fifth starter was. So,
3: And with less pressure in LA, he's not in the pressure cooker of Boston with the media all over him and everything else. So he could be more relaxed and play video games all night. Nobody's going (laughs) to care.
0: He'll play with me and my son. I'll invite (laughs) him over. He can play Fortnite with us. (laughs) He, also huge outfield. I, I mean, I think price is, I, this is an easy you, prediction. You once
3: owned all the David Price stock. I you still do. $217 million. And hey. You still got it. So you're hoping that it will come through and pay off.
0: It was so funny. There is uh somebody wrote a piece. It was a classic too. It's so funny. In 2020, people are still writing these stereotypical Boston media pieces, but the piece was basically like good riddance, David Price. Right. And the whole balance of it. And it's on my Twitter feed I tweeted it. But the whole balance of it. I was read basic, it
3: too, believe
0: me. Yeah. <laughs> it's like he turned he turned the clubhouse into us against them. Yeah. And you go, "Oh, that sucks. Man, I I didn't realize he did that." And then you realize the us was all of his teammates and then them was the reporters. It's like, right. "Why should I care that that a reporter and like David Price? How why does like this you, keep that- me awake at
2: night?"
3: That article had such a slant, and it was like, well, he took the younger players against his, under his wing, and he like, turned them against the press. But, you know, you could have written the exact same facts of that article and just did a different spin. Like, David Price, experienced leader, like, helps young players <laughs> navigate <Boston laughs> media. Keep whatever, away from the know? press. Right, exactly. Or like, you know, helps them navigate Major League Baseball. Like, it it seemed like he was like a team guy. Like, usually you get murdered if you're not a team first guy. and Now he gets murdered because he's all about the team, you know? Right. And and like us against them. People usually love the us against them. And well, not to mention at work, they won a freaking World Series in 2018 okay. in 107 games. That's the Granted, thing. They probably cheated to do it, but still. he. Was wow, hold
0: on. We're going to hold that too. thought. <laughs> it's like, yeah, he turned it into an us against them. And if it wasn't for him, maybe they wouldn't have won 119 games in the World <laughs> Series. It's like, what? What are you arguing? It worked. Right. Us against them was exactly. a good thing. So, exactly. I, and the other thing is, he was such a gamer in those playoffs. And obviously, I felt vindicated because I was, I, I held all the David Price stock by by August. Right. But the guy came up huge. He came up huge in Dodger Stadium, ironically, and he's pretty good. But that the Mookie part of this. He, Hundred years after Babe Ruth, not to compare it to Babe Ruth, mm. the symmetry of that really concerns me. The fact that I got my four World Series, I really only wanted one. Everything else was gravy. But I'm probably never going to see them win again now because we have somehow reversed all of the karma. Oh, this
2: this decades and it is decades
3: it was 1918 and now it's, it was 2018 and you, you know, get rid, get rid of, a, of your best player for money basically. So it, it is, inter- it is interesting, but um,
0: I think John Henry should have said he was funding. No, no, Nanette as part of this <laughs> inside joke
3: for the for Red Sox historians. At, at first the, you know, they made this trade that obviously they agreed to all the players and then they're like, well, wait a second. Brustar Gradarol or whatever his name is. Yeah. Maybe he's damaged goods. So then, like the Red Sox fans, I saw it all over Twitter and everywhere else where they got their hopes up. Like maybe this whole thing is going to implode. Yeah. Maybe Mookie will be back, and only to have your hearts broken again. So that was my favorite part when the new GM comes in and kicks fans in the teeth, not once, but twice, drags it out for like a week. That was fantastic. I was the and most. Just rip off the band aid, ripped it off slowly. That was great.
0: I was the most upset after the first version of the trade. I was the most upset. I didn't know it was possible to get this upset about sports again. Where I it really like it sent me down a spiral and the people out there are like, Hey man, fuck you. You won four world series. It's like, right. Russell and I talked about it last week. That's not the point. The point is I wanted this guy to be in my life for the next 12 years. And I wanted to watch him and I really liked him. And I thought he was a great role model for my kid. And Mm. I thought he was really fun to watch day in and day out. And the fact that we traded him for some nebulous need to save money thing when the team is a cash cow, I just couldn't, I just couldn't wrap my head around it. And I was in a really dark place and I was texting with, uh, with Hench, my, uh, my fellow crazy Red Sox fan buddy. And I, this was like two days after the trade. I was like, I, I feel like I'm in the seven stages of grief and I'm in like the, the just profound sadness part, whichever stage that is. And then he was like, I honestly feel like it's like a death. And I was like, I kind of get that. I feel like obviously Mookie's going to be on the Dodgers and he's still going to play professional baseball, but it's just like, he's just been wiped out. This guy that I had penciled in for the next 20 years of my life or I guess next 15 now. And it's just gone. It just went into thin air. It's like, of course we're never going to lose this guy. Who would lose? Like, it would be like the way you think about Aaron right. Judge right now. It's like, well, why would you lose Aaron Judge? There's no yeah. reason. You're never going to lose Aaron Judge. So oh, I don't know. No, I mean well, like losing from it.
3: It's actually a shorter drive for you to go see him 81 times a year now, actually. He's well, right he'll come error.
0: over too with Price when Price is playing video right. games in my house. No, I mean, I mean the Aaron Judge thing, you just assume if Aaron Judge plays for the next 20 years, all 20 years will yeah. be in the Yankees. Like you're signing up for that now. He's in your life. I can't imagine yeah. a situation where he's not playing for the Yankees unless he has like a series of injuries and becomes damaged goods or needs a new team or whatever. If he's healthy and he's doing Aaron Judge things, they're not trading him. That's no. it.
3: Luxury so, tax be damned.
0: What's, uh. Well, I'm, congratulations. I know nothing makes you less happy than when the Red Sox are doing well. And the fact that they've somehow figured out how to sabotage this season while simultaneously stabbing their fans in the gut and trading the most popular guy in the team is unbelievable. It's it's I just can't get over it. It's like, <laughs> oh, well, Jeter Downs didn't realize he was a top, like my dad is drinking the Kool-Aid on this. He's like, oh, of course. you know, Mookie was going to leave. I'm like, what do you mean? You don't know that. <laughs> Mookie, right. So Mookie's going to go to free agency and see what his market is. I guess what? I think he should probably do that. That sounds like a really good idea. Cause normally when people go to the market, they make a lot of money and he should do that. And if they're offering him an extension lower than he thinks he can get smart move, test your right. value. Doesn't mean we have to fucking trade them. Uh, right. Anyway. All right. Let's talk about the cheating stuff. So yes. we, I think we talked about it maybe six weeks ago as, as it was breaking. And now more stories coming out where uh, even in the Washington Post, we're, we're taping this on a Wednesday, and it just seems so much more elaborate and and far-reaching than I think any of us realized. Right. And I just can't believe these guys were like, "You're opening day Astros. Here he is, Jose <laughs> Altuve." And it's like, all of these guys cheated, and I, right. I can't believe they haven't cracked down on any of these guys. Do you think it's because all these other teams cheated too? And it's like, well, we're not we're not going to flag these guys who went 40 miles an hour over the speed limit because everyone else on the highway was going 40 miles over the speed limit? Or is something weirder going on here?
3: Well, the, I, I'd say no to that because they, they, I mean, obviously everybody knows that steroids, the steroid era, that steroids were rife throughout the league and they had no problems flagging the guys in the, uh, mcafee report or whatever the hell it was called uh that they that they are the mitchell report that was based on what was the guy's name from new york um but they, you know that they used only this guy, who was the clubhouse guy for the Mets, as their source, and everybody that got their steroids from him or that he knew of was painted with that brush, and they did not do any further investigation when everybody knows that it was wider ranging than that. So they haven't felt reticent to just flag a handful of guys before. So uh, you know, allegedly. The claim was that if they went after individual players, then that gets the players' union involved because they filed grievances, and it becomes a more protracted thing. And they didn't want the nightmare of that. But I mean, the way the way these guys have handled it—you know, Altuve basically saying, "Well, we're going to go to the World Series now because nobody believes in us." <laughs> Bregman appearing at their fan fest, and doing this. Yeah. While well, the commissioner did his report to every—you know—plead the fifth basically to every answer. And, you know, it's not going away because I see stuff on Twitter where, like, other players, you know, Trevor Bauer, foremost among them, but other players now. I read a thing now with a guy for the Angels that said everybody in the sport knows they used buzzers in 2019. Like, if There's all these different sources that claim that that's the gospel truth. Yeah. And that MLB, like, swept that under the rug because that would be too much. And I think the Astros could not have handled it, the players, any worse. It Marlon is. Gonzalez came out who plays for the twins now and basically did an apology, but everybody else has put their head in their sand. And Ver, you know, Justin Verlander, their team, one of their team leaders who's always like chiming in on the rules of baseball on Twitter and not afraid to throw his opinions around has been like a ghost basically.
0: Yeah. You know, if we went to Vegas and figured out how to cart, how to count cards and you stood 20 feet away from my table and every time I was thinking about doubling down. You just started banging the trash can as loud as you could. Right. You'd be escorted out of the casino in like 10 minutes. I can't believe these guys went through three straight seasons doing this and the other teams knew it and nobody like blew the whistle on anybody. That's why I feel like maybe everybody was cheating. They were just doing it the most egregiously and blatantly. Like even your Yankees where, here we go. Well, you know, you've been (laughs) prone to prone to, be cheaters in the past.
3: You oh, got God, in bed with A
0: Rod, one of the legendary cheaters <laughs> of all time, and win your only World <laughs> Series of the century. Uh,
2: oh my God.
0: But
3: Look, the Yankees our, are like, our, yeah, let's let, let this
0: go. Teams, let's move on. It's in the past. Like, why aren't the Yankees,
3: well, no, the Yankees matter? Yankees are fired up. Boone, Aaron Boone at spring training today on Wednesday, he had a press conference and they asked him directly, Are you sure the Astros were not using buzzers in 2019? And he said, No, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. He, he was not afraid to throw it around. That's the thing. Like these players, like there's a the fraternity, I'm sure, of baseball, and you know the omerta they didn't want to rat anybody out and all that. But the, I've been surprised, frankly, at how open these guys have been about. You know, yeah, the Astros have cheated for years, and we've we've known it. Everybody knew it, and we did things to counteract it.
0: The single funniest.
3: Everybody was doing that. They said the Astros.
0: Well, I hope I hope that was all it was because I. Obviously, the Red Sox report hasn't come out yet. There's some good conspiracy theories on the internet right now, and one of the ones that worries me is the Red Sox know they're about to get annihilated with whatever the report is, and that's why they're throwing away this season anyway.
3: But that's a possibility. They may also know that Betts had his best season ever in 2018. When no,
0: he come on. Stop it. He only it. hit
3: 260 last year, so they he figure, hits, why no, are going to guy do, a lot of money? When almost it know
0: 300. Coming. He hit like 290. Alex
3: Cora is known ringleader of this Astros thing that's shaking the sport to its core. And then he goes <laughs> to the Red Sox <laughs> the next awesome, year and true. they win the most games in their history. I mean, he, come on.
0: He, they they brought in the buzzers after Alex Cora left in Houston. The, <laughs> I was talking to my dad about this yesterday and and we were just, my dad's definitely, cause he's living in Boston. There's a little more Kool-Aid being splashed on him there about like, well, you know, he might not sign here. And we were right. talking about it for 10 minutes and then there's this pause and my dad goes, You know, we don't have a manager. (laughs) (laughs) It seems important. Spring training's about to start. We have no manager.
3: Didn't they name Ron Reneke the interim manager? But why is there an interim manager? Like, why don't you just hire a manager?
0: Yeah. It's like,
3: like... why is he interim
0: it's like if I just left the ringer today, and they're like, "Hey, we have an interim person running the ringer." I'd be like, "Well, that's weird. <laughs> what, what does that mean?" But it does feel like, like do he's think, coming back, though. Do they
3: think they're going to bring Cora back after whatever I think suspension so. he gets? I think. We're my just guess ride is. Out the storm for two years and bring Cora back. Is that the plan?
0: My guess is, if you suspend him, that's an admission of guilt. If you get in a room with them and you say, Hey man, (laughs) go away for two years. Yeah. I think it's going to be, I think it'll be one year, not two.
3: Look, yeah, but see Hinch got one year, Hinch got one year. And if you believe him and I don't, but his claim is that he, you know, he was smashing TV screens and he was trying to get them to stop and they just wouldn't listen to him. Oh yeah. I'm sure that's all true. You know, major league baseball's report claims. He was like a, you know, he was very reticent about this whole thing. Of course. He was reluctant. Yeah. Whereas Cora was the ringleader of this thing, and that he was really the driving force as the bench coach and came up with some of this system. So, you know, all the a lot of players who sang, I guess, pointed their fingers at Cora and Beltran, to be it frank, and uh, that Cora was the ringleader. So if he's the ringleader and the reluctant guy gets a year, I would think that the ringleader is going to suffer a worse suspension. Myself.
0: I love the reluctant guy who happens to be the right. boss of the ring later. Get the fuck out of here. You're There's right. no way
3: that happened. Exactly. What are they talking right. about? And it's pretty convenient now, even like this Wall Street Journal article where they point their everybody points their finger now at uh at Beltran and Cora, the two guys who are gone and lost their jobs, who aren't around anymore, you know? It's I like have... in movies when somebody dies and they're like he's he was the murderer of the <laughs> dead guy because he can't answer for himself You're
0: anymore. Right. <laughs> I have uh, here's my response to your your uh, accusation against the Red Sox. In 2018, a year you would say, Mm -hmm. well, maybe that was the year they cheated. Sandy Leone hit 177 in 288 at-bats. If he knew what pitches were coming and still hit 177, he should just retire from baseball right now.
3: Well, yeah, but he stinks, you know?
0: Well, Jackie Bradley doesn't stink. Like, that guy was hitting 160 for half of 2018. Does that mean... He, the information messed with his head. Like, I,
3: I, I don't Maybe believe he was it. confused. Maybe he was confused by the signals. It took him a while to figure out the,
0: now, the, the the
3: way the code worked.
0: The home, and also the Red Sox guys have gone on the record being like, fuck this. Like, Bogart's, Endeavor's, like, there's been dudes that have been like, look, we, whatever this is, we weren't doing that. Whereas you look right. at like the Astros, the home away splits are legendary. Who's that guy? Brian McCann? His yeah, said. Head- he, he was like basically 1927 Bill Dickey at home,
3: or <laughs> well, even Altuve. It's ridiculous. Yeah.
0: Well, the the funniest outcome of this will be if Altuve starts the season hitting going two for forty or something. That it, oh,
3: absolutely. Even if he absolutely. starts at zero for
0: ten, it will begin. It will be done. Absolutely. I was talking. I think
3: it's going to spiral out of control, and I think I don't think they have any idea of how bad it's going to be because I think like other players, it's not just fans. The fans are fired up, but I think a lot of other players are fired up. I think they're going to be like, I think they're going to be dusting dirt off their pants quite often. Oh, that'd be play fun. Because I, I think they're going to get buzzed more often than they know.
0: I was talking to Chuck. Close- was
3: buzzed, no pun intended.
0: I was talking to Chuck Closterman today and I was saying how I I actually was surprised this wasn't a bigger deal, this whole baseball thing. Like, it, like if it had happened in the NBA, if they had figured out had yeah. it like, it just felt like it would have been 20 times bigger. And he was arguing, it actually is a big deal. It actually got people talking about baseball in January True. or February. And he thought it was like actually weirdly good for baseball. And now I'm thinking about it. I don't want to say he's changed my opinion yet, but it is fun to have a real villain in the league now.
3: Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you I never know, thought I would hate a team more than the Red Sox given yeah. my Yankee fandom, but the Astros are up there now. They really are. I still hate the Red Sox, don't get me wrong. But I I mean, I really dislike the Astros. I really, really dislike them. It's I dislike great. the team. I dislike the players. <laughs> I really have my blood up for them. No question about it.
0: It's great. It's great. I think I'm actually looking forward to this season for a variety of reasons, except for the part that uh I really I Except, yeah, except for the part where the Red Sox broke my heart, and I know Mookie's going to do incredible in, in for the Dodgers too. Like that, like lock that down. The the Bellinger Mookie, that whole side of the outfield, yeah. it's gonna, it's going to be like you know way way up there. But I was, we're taping this on a Wednesday. Zach Cram is writing a piece for the Ringer that is going up Thursday morning because we basically asked him to figure out how much of this is bullshit. How much how much money are they actually saving? And he's uh, like he's like got one of those neat silver mines. The numbers, Yeah, he's gonna actually figure out how much of this is bullshit. So hopefully he's gonna figure out this is all smoke and mirrors craziness and uh
3: I hope it comes out to be about eleven hundred dollars.
0: They're able to buy one more T V for the clubhouse that <laughs> AJ Hinch can smash. Uh, yeah, so we're taping this the day after the Democratic, the whole thing in New Hampshire and
3: New Hampshire primary.
0: It was bad times for Elizabeth Warren and Joe Biden. Bad times. Yeah, Joe Biden putting on a clinic. It feels like he's filming a documentary in real time about how to destroy a campaign. Um, yeah, we're we're now it's like well South Carolina. My campaign's just beginning. I think his campaign is over. And yeah,
3: I think it is too.
0: And now we're looking at. Sanders, Mayor Pete, who again has no credentials whatsoever, right? Amy Klobuchar, who I actually kind of like, who also had the the knives haven't come out for her yet, but they're about to. They'll be they yeah, dredging definitely. up every everything from her past now, and then Bloomberg as as the wild card. So if you had to, right. if you had to guess right now. Who is, uh, Emperor Trump facing in November? Who would you pick?
3: Hmm. So I don't, you know, it's crazy. I, w- I guess if I had to put money on it, I would put money on Bernie because I mean, he, he either, well, he, you know, the crazy, stupid Iowa caucus thing, he basically won the popular vote, but somehow didn't get the most delegates because of the way they apportioned them based on. <laughs> what they apportioned them on, to be honest with you. And they still can't count the votes, but we'll call that a we'll call that a half a win. Yeah. He won in New Hampshire. He did not win as convincingly as he did four years ago against Hillary, but it's a you know it's a much deeper field this year. He still won. So he won the first two. Didn't he His have like one third the vote
0: as he as he got in two thousand sixteen? One third of the people? I thought yeah, I saw that got, today. I
3: don't I think the final numbers were he I think he got around twenty seven percent of the vote. I believe. And then, and then mayor Pete was right behind him within a couple of percentage points. I think he got like 25 ish and change. So, and then Klobuchar was there with like 20, maybe. And
0: Yang Yang gang trailing the pack.
3: Yang gang threw in the old, threw in the towel last night. So, um, so I would say it's, it's probably going to be Bernie. He has the most passionate supporters. He has the most money, Uh, Well, he doesn't have the most money. I shouldn't say that because Bloomberg, Bloomberg, who is a multi-billionaire, he's he's been spending money like it's going out of style. So he has the most money of his own. Bernie has the most money raised among his supporters who are, you know, feverish in their support for Bernie. Now, the establishment, such as it is in the Democratic Party, will do everything in their power to rig it against him and throw themselves against him. Uh, But... If he does not get the nomination, having the most support and the most feverish supporters, I mean, they will literally burn the Democratic Party to the ground. So the Democratic Party elders, to the extent there are any, have to be like tearing their hair out because if it comes down to a Bernie-Bloomberg battle and Bloomberg is a billionaire who used to be nominally a Republican and it's him against Bernie, who the true believers, that's where their heart is, thats gonna be that's going to be a mess. It's gonna be a bloody civil war, but I think ultimately I think Bernie is gonna come out on top.
0: Well, Vegas agrees with you. Vegas has Bernie at plus one twenty, Bloomberg's plus two twenty five, Pete's at eight to one, uh Smoky Joe's at fifteen to one, and uh our girl Amy is at seventeen to one. Bizarrely, Hillary Clinton you could still get at fifty to one, whose odds are the same as (laughs) Elizabeth
3: Warren's parachute in, but the notion like, yeah, there's I've seen things about that, but that's there's no way like the, the Bernie will burn the party to the ground if they did that too. And it's not like she's going to parachute in and unite everybody and coalesce the party around her who like most of whom hate her. So who do you I think, don't think that's happening?
0: Who do you think Trump wants to face? Cause we're really down Bernie. to, Oh, you think that's who he wants? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Why?
3: Because, well, because the, cause it's going to be like the British election all over again. I mean, Jeremy Corbyn was a, you know, who was the labor leader party in the most recent, British elections, and I realize that's more complicated because of Brexit and everything else, but you know, the Labour Party had the worst showing in its history, essentially, or I think in its history, against Boris Johnson, who's basically the Trump of England, and it was because Jeremy Corbyn had openly flirted with communism most of his career and was way out there. And that's in England, where they sort of have, you know, it's Europe, they're more open to socialism or democratic socialism than we are in this country. So I just think that Bernie screaming, you know, 78 years old, screaming about billionaires and, you know, threatening to take away your health care to give you government health care is not going to sell. It's not going to sell in Midwestern states for union guys that have collectively bargained for health care and don't want to go on a government health care plan. And it's like, you know, you're going to go with like, it's going to be a choice basically of the lunatic I know or the lunatic I don't know. And it's going to, you know, it's going to be ugly excuse me. And I think Trump is ultimately going to, going to win. That's who he would want to face you know, I mean, have more problems with. I mean, the dream scenario for Democrats was Biden who, you know, is from Delaware and was born in Pennsylvania. He's got the uncle Joe thing for, you know, white lower class voters, which is who Trump appeals to that he could do some ba- you know, he could help in the battlegrounds there, but you know, poor Joe is just a, is just a disaster and like imploding. So that's not going to happen. And now the establishment such as this has to put its hope in somebody else. But, you know, if they're putting it in Bloomberg, I'm I'm not sure Bloomberg sells nationally either. So he it's, could self-fund, He, you know, he's got a fortune. So they would like that aspect of it. But I, I, Trump would definitely want to run against Bernie if everybody that's left.
0: Sanders versus Bloomberg almost feels like Vince McMahon is orchestrating that as SummerSlam 2020 or something.
2: Where, yeah, that would be.
3: It's
0: just like the billionaire. The He's a billionaire. Apart. He hates billionaires. Bloomberg, exactly. Sanders, <laughs> and right. they're going to do it that way. <laughs> and they're just that's right. And it'll be like they they should just have entrance music when they go in and the whole thing. But Bloomberg is literally what Sanders hates, and that's Absolutely. probably his biggest obstacle. The Mayor Pete thing, I I'm I'm just astonished it's gone this long. I didn't. I didn't I mean, see that one coming. It's,
3: it's insanity. I mean, you know, there's these theories about him, like that he's, you know, basically like a robot that was created in a lab. Because it's like literally like a year ago, if I had, I, I had no idea who Pete Buttigieg. I'm pretty tuned into politics, and I had no idea who Pete Buttigieg was. I couldn't have named the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, at gunpoint. Yeah. And now he's like a household name, and he's a legitimate contender for the Democratic nomination. I mean, he, you know, he semi won Iowa and he came in a close second in New Hampshire. This is a guy who's 37 years old. He's the mayor of the fourth largest city in freaking Indiana. right? (laughs) I saw a thing after the Iowa caucuses when he won sort of the Iowa caucuses and he got whatever he got for votes, you know, uh, tens of thousands of votes. He had never gotten more than 9000 votes in his life before. Because you can get elected the mayor of South Bend with 9,000 votes. Yeah. And so. now the guy is like a legitimate contender for the presidency. It's <laughs> it's crazy. And he's a, here's a guy, I don't understand like why he wouldn't run for, could, could we run for Congress first or Senate or governor of Indiana? We're just going to go from being the mayor of South Bend to being the president? I, I don't know. I, and he's like, he speaks in platitudes and cliches, but the voters eat it up. I mean, he has an impressive resume. The guy served in the military. He's a you know Rhodes Scholar, Ivy League, speaks multiple languages. It's all great. It's a great resume. But he's thirty-seven years old, and he's run South Bend. It's uh, like I when mean, you know.
0: It's like when an NFL team hires some like thirty-year-old whiz kid coach, and sometimes it works out, like Mike Tomlin, Sean McVay. I guess
3: Sean McVay. But they're
0: just like, ah, all these guys suck. What about this guy? He's seven years away. Let's give him a whirl. That's uh, right. I, I'm i most, back to the robot thing, because I think it's a crucial point. Um, It seems like they've almost changed his voice to sound exactly like Obama in 2007. Well, yeah, he's
3: definitely like studied every, like every I think it was tick? like a clockwork orange, like where they had his eyes propped open and they're just putting in eye drops and he was watching Obama's speeches from <laughs> Obama's time. If you close
0: your eyes, you wouldn't know who is who. And even like he has the pauses and, how Obama used to finish the point and then kind of stare out at the crowd, kind of soaking it in for a second. And Pete, right. ta- Pete tries to do that too, but he's got like a circuit in his back. I uh, <laughs> I think it's really weird to watch him speak. Like he really does seem like he came out of Obama camp. And it's like, here's our, fir- here's our winner of Obama me, camp.
3: Until somebody can prove to me that he was not created in a lab, I'm not going to believe it.
2: Yeah, they uh, should just, probably research it's that. Just,
3: it's just an odd thing. It's just, a, it's just it's just an odd thing. He's got like this perfect resume and he came from nowhere. No one's ever heard of him. All of a sudden, he's like a leading contender for the for the nomination to be the president. It's crazy. It would be they, funny
0: if he malfunctioned like he was giving a speech and he was going, and as I told Michelle last week, and as I told like, Michelle last week, <laughs> and as I told him, <laughs> and then somebody came and hit him in the back.
2: <laughs> <Right>. He <They just laughs> dropped the curtain. Yeah, I mean, Justin, Uh yeah, Technical difficulties.
0: I think this is, we're headed for a clusterfuck of epic proportions these next eight months. And, I and can't you know even what everybody imagine. always
3: hopes for is the bro- is the brokered convention,
2: where there really has
3: not been one since, well, I mean, a really one where the outcome was in doubt. There, It's, it's been a long time since there's been one. It's 76, the Republicans, you know, Reagan had sort of had a chance to unseat Gerald Ford, but not really In 80 Ted Kennedy went all the way to the convention against Carter, but not really. So journalists are always hoping for that. And this year, you know, if, if Biden was ever to rally in South Carolina, cause he, you know, he's the only guy in the race, basically not basically, he's the only guy left in the Democratic side that has some appeal to African-American voters. Although I guess Bernie has made some inroads there. Yeah, but, Bernie has, uh, you know, if Biden was ever to sneak out a win in South Carolina, or at least come close You know, to Bernie, let's say Bernie wins and then Biden was close, at least then, you know, he'd be comeback Joe and they would hype that up. And then, you know, Klobuchar and Pete are still in there and Bloomberg is spending a fortune on Super Tuesday. I mean, you really could have a free for all, which is insane, but it could happen.
0: A free for all, a complete clusterfuck. That leads to somebody then facing Donald Trump and head to head. Exactly. Uber clusterfuck.
3: Exactly. (laughs) It's it's, it's it's insane. (laughs) But you know what else is insane? That like, you know, four years ago, when we talked about this, I I swore up and down there was no way Donald Trump was going to be elected president. That it just was not going to happen. And here we are. So... Well, we Nobody the, knows nothing.
0: The race has already reached a point where there was an argument whether it should be Clomentum or Clobmentum. Did you see that right. whole thing? And, yeah. And somebody said, no, no, it should be Clomentum. And they were arguing about that for Klobuchar, who is destined to become the Michael Dukakis of this whole thing where in the John Lovett sketch a million totally. years ago with Bush with the, I can't believe I'm losing to this guy. Like that's right. whoever she's in at the end, that'll be her demeanor. Just like, ah. She,
3: yeah, the knives will come out for her now because nobody felt the need to drop any Oppo research on her. But now I saw a thing on Twitter today where she gave yeah. a speech in, a few years ago talking about how you know they needed order on the border and they're you know basically not not quite calling for Trump's wall, but right. you know she was like a border hawk, so that's going to hurt her in Democrat circles. And you know, there's a lot of stories about her being very mean to her staff and like abusive to her staff and things. So they'll dig they'll dig all those stories up too.
0: Yeah, I, I was less alarmed by that because Donald Trump is our president. But, exactly. Um, people
3: might be like, you know, we want a president who's tough. That's good. She's, it, she's hard on the staff.
0: It was. It was like I. It's almost. I read those stories. I'm like, all right, how mean? Like, did she dump a soup on somebody, or did she well, just?
3: Well, She threw binders at people, allegedly, like full binders of paper. But
0: where? At their arm? At their head? Like, can I have more detail? Well, good
3: point. You didn't hear You didn't hear the comb story.
0: (laughs) No. What was that one?
3: Oh, so this is a, I forgot where this was. They had this big article. I forgot if it was like, it was, it wasn't some like, you know, right-wing rag. It was, it was like a legitimate magazine or something. And had articles have been there where it was, I don't know if it was the Washington post, whatever. Supposedly she, she was, she was going to catch a plane and she had some staff with her and they were like hustling to make the plane. And so she said, go get me something to eat. And the staff person went and got, like, a salad at the airport, and they got on the plane, and he had neglected to get a fork for the salad. So she was all pissed off, so she, like, digs in her pocketbook, pulls out a comb, and proceeds to eat the salad with the comb while all glaring at the kid, who's her staffer. And then eats the salad with the comb, and gives him the comb, and is like, go clean it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that can't be true.
3: I don't know. It's good. Why would you? I don't know. I don't know why somebody would make that up. But uh, yeah. So that's I, maybe you want that in a president. You know, they're thinking on their feet. Make do with what we have.
2: You I'm,
0: know, I'm googling. Cl- oh, yeah, you're right. First result: Klobuchar ate her salad with a comb. <laughs> reports says.
2: Yeah, I don't make these things up. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mind it. I,
0: if that's the worst thing, is she, so she's a pain in the ass to work for. All right.
3: Yeah. Could yeah. she could
0: she beat Trump? Well, probably not.
3: Right. The, I don't know. I mean, she may have some Midwestern appeal being from Minnesota and, you know, seeming like not that threatening except to her staff. Um, you know, it's possible. I like that. Uh, be, great at the next, be great at the next debate if Mayor Pete's just openly like with a comb combing his hair right in front of her.
0: Can I <laughs> let this comb maybe? The... Uh, <laughs> I like that she. There definitely. She also has some stuff with people she put away that you know. Yes, yeah. They, she, they, the she has that whole some side of things Yeah. But she has skeletons.
3: People away and stuff.
0: She has skeletons from the past. Biden has skeletons right. from like twenty four hours ago.
3: Exactly.
0: <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, remember that that dog face comment you made to that poor oh lady God. who asked you a question? And he's
2: uh, he's poor rough Joe
3: Biden. She. I didn't even understand that. Like she was like. Why did you do so poorly in Iowa? And he's like, "Did you ever participate in an Iowa caucus?" She's like, "Yes." Then he goes, "You're a lying dog faced pony soldier." <laughs> I,
2: <laughs> I saw that. Like, what? And I think he was and kidding. It's, but...
3: a quote from a, it's a quote from some John Wayne movie, like she wore a yellow ribbon or something from like 1940, and like a joke. Can we be a little more timely with like, you know, can you quote "Once Upon a Time in Hollywood" or you know anything that John Wayne?
0: He literally could have said, he literally could have said John Wayne to her and she wouldn't have known who that was, much less a quote exactly. from a John She's Wayne movie. like 22
3: movie. years old. Right. Exactly. Like, I guess he was trying to be funny, but it's like, unless you're familiar with obscure John Wayne quotations, it's not really going to be that funny.
0: Even, even my dad didn't get it. And he's 71. I think there was like an 85 year old who thought it was hilarious <laughs> though. It's like, oh, John Wayne. <laughs>
3: Th- and he's just like, he looks bad. It's like, I mean, it's really like his family ought to sit him down and be like, Joe, I, I don't think this is happening. Like you, you tried to wave the flag. You tried to, you know, carry the banner, but it, it's not your time. It's just, your time has passed. It's it's enough. You've done your service. It's good. You're done.
0: Yeah, I kind of thought that was the job of somebody's kids to intervene for on somebody's behalf. The of
3: politics is like, you have so much confidence or ego that you think like Elizabeth Warren, why is Elizabeth Warren still in the race this Wednesday? Mm. She, she was like the leader. She, you know, she, she shot out early. She had this huge lead and now, and she got killed in Iowa and then she got killed in New Hampshire, which is the state right next to the one she represents where she lives, the people that are most familiar with her. And she got 9% of the vote and she's like, well, the fight continues. Fight continues. There is no more fight. Yeah. It's ridiculous.
2: You were counted the out. The fight
3: continues.
0: Yeah. It was a it was a knockout and you and you lost and the trainer's <laughs> taking your gloves off.
3: I never it's like I never got like the Warren Leon thing. Spinks, it's like Michael Spinks after he got knocked out by Tyson in like fourteen seconds and he's like the fight continues. No, no, it's over. It <laughs> so, does not continue. Sorry,
0: Michael, you lost in ninety one seconds. Yeah. <laughs> right. I Sanders market corrected her. I think people no, thought- I think initially people thought Sanders, like, oh, he had a shot, there's no chance. And then he basically took all the stuff. But I still, there's been a lot of stuff lately about, because people thought, well, when Warren's out, Sanders will get all of her people and that'll be one super group of that demo. And that right. will beat everybody. But I actually, I the, if you look at Klobuchar and Mayor Pete, that combo, it's probably around the same amount of people. It's all going to come down to what happens with Bloomberg. He's, he's the wild card. <laughs> and he's, I mean, was, he's literally Dr. Evil. He has so much money. He's really, in this fucking mountain is. with the Starbucks.
3: Exactly. And he's already spent, I saw something earlier where he, he spent like $200 million already on, on TV ads and staff. And, he, you know, the, the closest person to him is the, the other billionaire, Tom Steyer, who spent like $100 Oh yeah, twenty million or something to get like three votes, and then Bernie has spent like you know sixty million or something of money that he's raised. But I mean, Bloomberg like has like almost tripled the amount of—I guess he has tripled the amount of money that Sanders has spent, and he's barely been in the race like a, two weeks now. It's it's yeah. crazy, and he hasn't even competed in any primaries or caucuses. It's nuts.
0: Tom Steyer I mean, he just, just should have limited money. Tom Steyer just should have set it on fire. It's like a television exactly. special. I don't know what I he was doing.
3: fireworks show, you know, shot the money up in the air. Oh
0: right. my god! Uh, it the is. People. I I'm at the point. I'm horrified by every candidate on both ends, Republican <laughs> and Democrat. And if I was a reporter, uh, the whole
3: thing is, if you're a conservative Reagan Republican like me, like, and I love politics, you know, I was raised in it, and so it's my thing. And like, so to to watch what's happened to it now, and like what it is. It's just, it's horrifying. It's just absolutely horrifying that like, you know, Donald Trump is the embodiment of the Republican party. It's just, it's it's (laughs) fucking horrifying. It's just absolutely fucking horrifying. Uh,
0: If I I was a political reporter, my question, I would just tailor my question to things I cared about because I would have given up on any of the actual issues. Be like, Amy, (laughs) uh, can you tell me? What did you think of the Red Sox, what they did with the Mookie Betts trade? Did you agree with how they were afraid of the competitive balance tax? Uh, Senator
3: Sanders, will you raise John Henry's taxes in light of the Mookie Betts situation? (laughs) Just his own personal taxes.
0: Oh, my God. All right, Jacko, this is fun to catch up. I'm glad you're well. Uh, This is your time of year. And we'll talk to you before the baseball season starts.
3: Sounds good. Take it easy, my friend.
0: All right, thanks to Ben Thompson, thanks to Jacko, thanks to ZipRecruiter, thanks to Pepsi, with the new year officially here and everyone vowing to restrictive resolutions. Pepsi wants to usher in the new decade a bit differently by encouraging everyone to unapologetically do what you enjoy, even in the face of others' judgment. Like last night, when I grabbed a rice cake from the pantry and just put peanut butter on it and ate it at 9.30, even though that violates basically everything they tell you about what not to eat after nine o'clock or eight o'clock, whatever, Guess what? It was a really good rice cake with peanut butter. Pepsi. That's what I like. We will be back uh, on Sunday night. Don't forget about the rewatchables with The Breakfast Club. Enjoy the rest of the week.